Dinoza podcast. Tonight we're going to do a plot drift. We're going to find Tony Dinoza a soulmate. Um, we're doing soulmate challenge in April, and um, I uploaded the soulmate uh, discussion podcast day uh, on Castbox. Uh, so that's available for you guys to listen to. Um, we recorded it in September. <laughs> of last year so it's been a while but i am catching up it's just um there were some issues and we're gonna we've lost some podcasts because of uh, craig issues i wasn't aware of that i couldn't have fixed anyway so anyways um but uh tony denozo finds a soulmate whether he wants one or not no i mean he gets one that's it he has to have one <laughs> um someone asked me about inserting a single character into I recently wrote a um, short with uh, Tony Stark and Mike Banning as a pre-slash pairing and someone asked me about inserting just a single character into um, a fandom and what I told them is is that you need to make a choice if you're just going to do the one character and you're not going to bring any of their significant backstory with you um, that it's best to set the story in one canon or another and not to try to merge them there's no need to do a fusion mm -hmm. on that level if it's just a single character that you're kind of stealing for your stuff so when it came to inserting mike banning into the mcu i made him a friend of happy hogan and i gave him his secret service background um and he was unhappy with it um i didn't go into any of the events of olympus has fallen um because those events were were not relevant to the story i was telling and they were not relevant to the mcu so yeah. that, that that's the decision that you make when you're just taking a single character um you can do the same thing with Ian Edgerton. Um, you can just bring his background, his skill set, uh, his job to the table and set it down. And it works in NCIS. It would work in Stargate. Um, it's just, it would work in any of the uh, connected shows for NCIS. Hawaii Five-O, uh, NCIS Los Angeles, NCIS uh, New, or New Orleans. Um, you can stick him down in the middle of CSI because all you're taking is this character that's fully that's been fully developed and putting them down in your fandom in a way that suits you best. So, yeah, and I don't. I actually personally, this is just my thing. I don't actually personally consider that a proper crossover. No, um, to just take one character because a crossover kind of to me implies your the audience might need to know or have some familiarity with both canons. But if you're just taking a character and one canon is irrelevant. That's not really a crossover to me. Um, a fusion is when you kind of blend the worlds together. And um, a crossover is when both shows, canons and characters, to me, are, are important. Um, yeah, the first lady being handsy comment had me in hysterics. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, <laughs> yeah. why would he have been removed from the president's detail? And I was like, why is he not in the White House? Because he's clearly a badass. And I'm like, oh, because the first lady wants to bang him. That's why he's not in the White House. And it just kind of, I just stuck it in there, you know, because sometimes, like, I had a little mini plot. It was like, I had, I had, this is what I was going to happen. I had my scenes. I had a little sentence for each scene in my little mini plot, how it was going to go. But I was like, why is Mike dissatisfied? with with his job you know what's going on there you know and so that's that's what that that's where that came from and so you'll make those decisions on the fly you just gotta keep up with them 
Yeah. I mean, I didn't make, in the one little short that I put up, I didn't make any of Tony's backstory to NCIS re relevant at all. It all Some of it happened, although not a lot of it. He left NCIS way earlier. Um, but it, it wasn't relevant to the storyline because of whose POV it was being told through. So there was no reason to... Which I loved, by the way, I love Penelope falling in love with her neighbor whose name she didn't want to get. I loved it. <laughs> And then I think for me, one of my favorite parts was that um, everybody already knew him. They were all freaked out about him, but they all already knew him. And, um, you know, you could go that direction of like her clutching her pearls when she finds out, but instead she just decides to troll her entire team. Um, <laughs> Which I think is like 100% on point for Garcia. Yeah. So I, I had a lot of fun with it, but his backstory, because of it was being told entirely from her point of view, and it would have been really kind of weird and pace killing to go into how he became. And I people were really curious about it. Believe me, I heard about it. Um, how he became the undersecretary for defense was undersecretary of defense for intelligence, how that be, how that came about. I know some people were really curious about that, but it wasn't really germane in that story. One of the, one of the moments I like the best is that you alluded to canon in a very gentle way that if the reader knew about it, they knew what you meant. But if they didn't, it wasn't a big deal. And that's the moment when Hotshire comes to see her and he's concerned about her seeing this, having this stranger in her life. And Garcia touches her chest. Yeah. Now, if you knew the reference, if, if you knew what had happened to her in canon, it's a really, it's, it's, it's a moment, but if you didn't know, um, it didn't, it wasn't an awkward moment for them. So it's, so it didn't stand out as a, something that you would make you trip over if you didn't know what they were talking about. It was, it was very well done. Thank you. So it's fun to just kind of be able to not have to worry about, um, I read something recently where it was like the backstory of how things had come to be the way they were, um, took up like 75% of the story. And it was irrelevant actually to the ultimate story. It didn't matter. So yeah, I think you have to evaluate and kind of judge, is this stuff matter? So, um, and that could be, that could be relevant in, in whatever stories you might be picking for your, because um, depending upon how you're going to do your soulmate thing, you might be doing a sort of a crossover or like doing a one character drop into another fandom. And you have to decide how much of their backstory or how much of their canon matters. Um, because it would have complicated Kira's little short immensely to try to make all that Olympus's fall and stuff happen. That's a very different um, terrorist profile than what they dealt with in the MCU. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, wow, that would have been... It would have been. It would have just really derailed things. I think a lot. So I, I can understand why you made the choice you made. Well, you do have to make those choices because, like, you know, you, you also have to look at your canons. If you want to bring these two characters together, what makes more sense for Mike Banning to be in the MCU, doing his doing his thing, being a badass, or to Tony for or for Tony Stark to show up, not being Iron Man in the Has Fallen universe? Well, obviously, it makes more sense to put it in the MCU. Yeah, and it'd be jarring a little bit for the reader because you'd have to put a big old author note. The, the MCU doesn't exist, and they'd go, why am I reading this? Right? So, soulmates, soulmates. We like soulmates. Um, I had an idea, you know, for the idea I was kind of favoring for um, April. kind of fell apart on me, and um, 
I'm kind of, I, I'm not sure what character I'm going to go with, but I, what, what main character I'm going to go with, but you know, it might, there's always a solid chance it's going to be a Tony story. So I thought, you know, we need to, we need to, we need to, Tony needs to get himself a new boo. So let's, um, <laughs> let's give him a, a soulmate. Speaking of things that Julie says, did you guys see my new um, emoji? <laughs> I asked her for a dodo emoji. <laughs> Hover over it. Hover over it. That's the so best can... part. Um, anyways, I amuse myself with that. Um, so, like, we got we got some choices. If you want to go new, right? You want to go new because um, you've like we can we can kind of hit the list that that you've explored. You've done Ian Edgerton. You've done Ronan. That this list is getting already a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jilly has not done these people. <laughs> I mean, personally, <laughs> um, I don't think Mark Watney's a good fit. Personally, I don't either. I don't think that the Martian verse is really um... because the Martian verse. The interesting thing about the Martian verse is what's going on on Mars, and that's when yeah. you take that you take that element out, or if you leave it in, it's just a big angst fest um, where your characters are separated. And if you take it out, it's a little. Meh. So Mark Watney is. Like his circumstances are the more interesting of the two characters, right? So you'd want to put Tony Dinozo in his world. But again, it would just be a big angst fest unless he met Tony after he came back from Mars. Right. But n- no, because again, I, mean, Mar- I wouldn't put two people on Mars because I think that dilutes what Mark, I think that dilutes Mark's journey to have two people be there. Um, I have not done Tony Dinozo with Mike Banning. Um, I'll put him on the list of people I haven't done. So I've done Ian, I've done Ronan, I've done Steve, I've done Hotch, um, done Derek Morgan. And Jack O'Neill. Jack O'Neill for sure. Yeah. We'll never do John Shepard, so nobody suggests that. Um, she's done Rampart. Fruit Fanner, yes, I've done Rampart, although that's not posted. Although I, I do have one short that's posted and I have one that's not. She um, can't do Bruce Banner because Bruce Banner is with Betty. But I've already done Bruce Banner. Oh, you have, yeah, you have, yeah, you did. That was a simple one. Yeah, I haven't done Harmon Rab. That's true. I haven't done AJ Chegwood. No, no, I haven't done Jubal. That's for OA. I haven't done Lorne. I you did, did do Thor. I did Thor, and I did Steve. Um, called Stephen Caldwell. James. No, I would never do Rodney because. Rodney belongs with John. I, I have an I have an OTP. I have I have this weird OTP. So you know. <laughs> it's not a weird OTP. It's weird for me because I don't I don't have well, yeah, OTPs. You don't really so. do them. Yeah. Um, uh, Owen is Owen's falling apart for me. I can't do Owen. So that was my plan. Actually, I was going to do Owen and Tony in April. I don't. You're right. I haven't written Spencer Reed. So you like that one character in Mag Seven that's played by Michael Bean, right? Yeah, I do like. No, I have not. That's um, Chris Larrabee. I also like Ezra Standish. Although I see Ezra and Tony more as kind of a brotherly friend vibe. And then there's Vin Tanner, but I don't really see that chemistry very well. Martin Fitzgerald from Without a Trace, probably my favorite character on that show. Honestly, I love Martin Fitzgerald. Um, But I did write Tony and Martin as a. Yeah, I I wrote Tony and Martin as basically brothers in Journey Home, and that's such a long story with them with the brother vibe. That's a little bit. I'm a little bit headcanon. I'm a little bit headcanon on that. Yeah, I can see why that'd be hinky. 
Um, I have um, actually the pairing for overqualified is Noah. So that's sort of out there. It's not there yet. But, but that's the plan. Yeah, that's that's the intended pairing for that story. You also didn't you want to do um, one with Daddy Winchester? Or um, that is no that that you're right. That, that's React. That's the sequel to React. Is when John Chris Argent is too problematic for um, Tony. He's a yeah. criminal. I couldn't see Chris Argent being with any good law enforcement officer. Not Noah or Tony. If you're going to write them as being good and um, believing in their job, but it's it's it, it react as a different universe. Um, the hunters, he's not he's he's alive. He's he's got more kids than just he never left his kids. He's running a hunting family, um, the good kind. It's an alternate universe. Yeah, it's it's an AU. It's um it's if you read React, um, J- Tony has a conversation with John Winchester in that. And John looks up who Tony is and starts flirting with him the minute he sees Tony's picture. <laughs> so it's an AU. So he's not, it, it's, it's, so I took all the, I took those, I took the three characters from, I took the three Winchesters out of, and, and Mary too, out of, um, out of uh, Supernatural and put them into Teen Wolf. So, so that's what you do with the characters. You take, a, you, if you're going to take the characters, but not their circumstances, you, you have to build a backstory for them, um, especially in a long work. Uh, I would never, I would never pair Tony with John Winchester in, in canon circumstances, Margaret. You're, you're absolutely correct that I, I wouldn't do that. Um, so I'm going to, some of them people, um, it actually, somebody suggested Sherlock Holmes. Um, it's actually my headcanon. I've never discussed this, but it's my headcanon that Sherlock and, and Tony are cousins. And that Sherlock refers to Tony as the American cousin. I, so I could, I could not ever. I see it. I, I couldn't write them as a, I actually plotted story where. Um, I dig Tony, it where Tony comes to, to England and he talks to John and like uh, Sherlock comes, comes home, the, you know, Sherlock comes home and he's asking, John says, you you had a visitor and, and Tony and John says somebody named Tony. He's like, not Denozo. <laughs> he's like, yes. He goes, Oh, the American cousin. <laughs> and Sherlock, talk about him. <laughs> it's like he's, and John's like, what's wrong with him? He goes, he's an abstract thinker. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just can't handle it. It just felt like I'm so offended. That's right on the level of we have a squib cousin who's an accountant, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's just mortally offended that that Tony's an abstract thinker. Like he, he knew Tony as a kid. He and Mycroft both, and they just could not deal with Tony's thought process. They're like, oh my god, what is this? It's so weird and abstract. We don't like it, Mom. Make it stop. <laughs> the American cousin. What so. Is it? Put it back. <laughs> so because I had, I, because I actually worked on, I worked on that plot for that story for a while. So it really got in my head that Sherlock and, um, and Tony are cousins. So I, I don't think I could write that. Sometimes just plotting something can headcanon you and then you're screwed. So you got to be careful what you do with your brain. Okay. So people gave a lot of suggestions. I'm kind of looking at the list of what I haven't written. Um, People suggested characters from Harry Potter. And I honestly, if I was going to do that, I would insert Tony into Harry Potter before I would insert any of the Harry Potter characters into NCIS. 
I did plot a story um, where Tony is Lily's cousin. And um, she keeps in touch with him occasionally once she disappears, once she marries James. Um, and then when she stops getting in touch with him, he starts reaching out. Now, he's actually magical, but he doesn't know it because the Paddingtons bind the, bind the magic of the kids in their line. And um, he, um, so I've got a whole family, I've got a whole family tree <laughs> for um, Lily and Tony being, um, I did pay it Paramount on the short. That was, that was not, the, the shorts were just kind of like, there's not a lot of backstory to those. But in this plot I did for this longer story, he goes to England to try to find Lily and he goes to what he knows to be James Solicitor. And because Tony's named in their will and he's actually magical, he inadvertently uh, triggers the execution of the will. And because of that, he's able to take custody of Harry. But um, I have no idea who Alex wrote. That's the guy from, uh, that's the character from The Last Starfighter. Oh. No, no. Um, um, if I was going to put Tony in Harry Potter, I would make him an American law enforcement in in magical society. Like he's like just full blown like hit wizard kind of thing, and he comes to Britain to take custody or, or whatever. I, just whatever you yeah. thought I was going to do with him. I think I wouldn't leave him as a cop. I don't think for I a full blown. Giant thing. Go ahead. I think some people have kind of done something similar, where he's actually like a liaison for whatever the magical ministry in in America is to NCIS. So he actually still works with Gibbs and all that stuff. And I think that's kind of a little bit attachment to canon, but mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I just um, I have to admit my interest in writing Harry Potter is pretty low, and that if I were interested in picking up Harry Potter, I would try to fi finish Slytherin Black. So um, I would not be seeking um i would I, yeah i wouldn't be seeking um to do harry potter at all because i i feel like i've got two stories i really enjoy that are in in process in harry potter already and to pick up and, and since it's a fan it's a fan of my i don't am not inspired to write in very often starting a new big work would be agreed yeah yeah like it's kind of ugh. um I think of the ones that people have mentioned that are I've not written before. I think the most appealing are Mike Banning, Chris Re uh, Chris Larrabee, and Spencer Reed. Um, I could, I mean, I could do Harmon Rab. I just don't find, I guess, I don't find the the world interesting. You know, mm -hmm. um, Mike is interesting because I would actually do a proper fusion because I would probably get Tony tied up into some terrorist plot or something or that he's helping with or something like that. But um, Spencer is interesting because Criminal Minds is a more interesting backdrop to me than Jag. Um, agreed. Agreed. You could, you could do a lot with Criminal Minds. Um, and Spencer uh, is uniquely positioned. And also, I think that you could say that you could put I mean, I don't know what your soul mate building is going to be, but it would be easier, I think, for Tony to merge with the team in Colorado with uh, um, Max Seven, with the ATF, or with Spencer Reed, and like you know, just be part of that team. Um, I see the dynamics working a little better. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. And it's it's also that's two backdrops I'm comfortable in re- watching the writing because I've read a lot of Mag Seven, so and seen the show, so I'm very I'm comfortable with the characters, and uh, I I don't feel like I ever have a problem writing Criminal Minds characters. Um, I think I would probably if I was going to do Mike Bannon. <laughs> <laughs> That I we I don't, we got we got to watch these double entendres here tonight. We're gonna get in so much trouble. Um, I feel like that writing a big terrorist plot would be more stressful than writing a vicious violent murder spree. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just um, and also, and this is probably this is probably just me being me, but I. I'm really um, always enamored with the idea of Tony finding a found family. And I feel like both the ATF and the criminal minds offer him that. Um, It's it's a very healthy dynamic where he has that really ugly dynamic at NCIS. Um, Well, if Mike was on Air Force One instead of Kate, he wouldn't have been banging the football carrier. We discussed this the other night with Tony. Of course, you don't have to bang the football carrier. I mean, you know, but it also gives wouldn't have wanted to rescue but, Mike Banning. Right. <laughs> it, 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 it's not just about the banging, right? It all kind of falls apart in the motivation. And there's just no reason for Mike Banning to wind up at NCIS. But the, but you could do something if you if, if I wanted to do Mike Banning and I didn't want to write a stressful terrorist plot because most of the Fallen movies have to do with terrorism. Right. Um I could do something more like a Marine is murdered at uh, the White House and Tony's there sent to investigate. And, oh, the head of the president's detail is his soulmate. And this is complicated. Um, I like it. But again, you know, it just depends on what you want to write. Yeah, so it does because it, you and you do lose the kind of found family there. You know, even if, you know, you could kind of write the president's really fond of him kind of thing. But it kind of is a little bit more, you know, political shenanigans regardless of whether or not the murder is a backdrop then yeah i mean there's no um backyard barbecues happening at the white house (laughs) no (laughs) which i think is how how do you say her name nimu nimaway nimaway i think this is how nimaway seduced me in the in the feeding frenzy it was good it was good yeah it was good well let's talk about it like it's chris larrabee actually let's let's go with chris um I could, I mean, really, either is good, but I let's let's go with um, let's go with Chris. I think um, I'm trying to think if there's anything I can leverage from what I already plotted, but I don't really think I can. Um, oh, no gifts, please. Um, um, I've not read much, but what I would suggest in a soulmate world, just to remove yourself some angst, is that he's never been married. Maybe. I mean, Chris is one of those characters that is a lot defined by that angst. But isn't he kind of like much of a, pretty much a big old asshole because of that angst? Not really. He's, he's closed off and emotionally unavailable, but he's not a dick. Not like Gibbs. I mean, he and Gibbs are both have the same kind of similar, um, yeah. Denver in, in, in terms of the AU. Yes. The show is set in the old West. I don't know where actually. I have to check. But the question becomes: um, Would in a world where there are soulmates, would Chris Larrabee have married someone that wasn't his soulmate? Uh, actually, I was thinking that a lot of people probably the way I, the way I was 
considering, and this, this is where it comes in. What is your soulmate world building mm -hmm. is if it's pretty easy for people to find their soulmate. No, people don't marry people who aren't their soulmate. And that could be your way to not have Chris marry his, but if it's difficult to find your soulmate, it might be really common for people. And actually it would be common for people to marry and have kids. And they might be kind of a thing. I'm like, Oh, I met my soulmate. What am I going to do? That can be an angsty thing that is in that kind of world is people who are married and have kids. And one of them meets their soulmate. What do they do? Um, but it's the same kind of question you have to answer. What happens if somebody's married and, and they, they become online as a sentinel or guide. It's the same fundamental issue. Yeah. That's why I don't write it. Cause I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> right. Like, nope. Not going to do it. <laughs> not going to do it. So I, um, in his backstory, he is, um, a lot like Gibbs, but I mean, I've, I never in the show felt like Chris was abusive to his team. Um, he has a bad attitude towards criminals, but this is, we're talking like he was, he was a gunslinger. So it was a little, you're, you have to extrapolate what he would be like. In, in a modern setting. In a modern setting. And I didn't, he, the thing is he was never, I think he would be less hard because it's not the old West for starters. Um, and also he was, like I said, he was never an abusive man. He protected people. Um, he was good with his team. Um, so I usually kind of, I kind of have been liking the kind of proximity alert thing, which is like when you get within a certain distance, and I'm thinking probably about 10 yards or so of your soulmate, you kind of feel it. And then you don't get your mark until you actually physically touch. So it, that the reason why I like that is because it, it removes the people touching each other all the time to try to be soulmates. Cause I remember, um, I do think that if, if you had to touch somebody to get your mark and there was no other, I think people would have to, there, it'd be like, you'd go into places and people would just shake hands with everybody in there. It would be really weird. Um, well, I think you'd have a lot of time. I mean, there'd be a lot of instances where, um, if you're with your kind of that proximity thing where you're walking somewhere and all of a sudden you feel it, the other person is going to feel it too. And so there's going to be two people looking around trying to figure out why they're feeling this thing. And they're going to be playing a game of hot cold, which is why I wouldn't want it to be a huge distance, like 50 yards where you can't see the person that's you're reacting to. So, you know, it's not like going to be a matter of like you're, you're on one plane and they're on another and you feel it, you can't get to them. It would have to be, you know, five to 10 yards or less. So I, I wouldn't want to make world building that is going to cause plane accidents and, you know, people getting hysterical because I felt my soulmate for five seconds. And I never could see them. So passing subway cars, not my, I wouldn't actually think that if, if you're passing in a subway car at that kind of speed that you would um, actually feel it at all. You might feel a little like hair on the back of your neck stand up, but you wouldn't attribute it to your soulmate, which would be unfortunate, but um. <laughs> like the warning system in Highlander. Yeah, but without the swords. Yeah. <laughs> or with the swords, whatever. <laughs> you gotta fight it out. <laughs> Let's see if you're badass enough to be my soulmate. <laughs> um, and I that I like the reason why I like that idea over some others is because sometimes th that works for me in a can in a canon where I want to preserve existing pairings where somebody's had a divorce. Um, so it, it depends on what I'm trying to do. If, if I if don't have, don't have that situation, then I can just go with people. Everybody has a soul mark and people can upload it onto meetyoursoulmate.net. And, you know, they have computer algorithms in this day and age that match your soulmate for you. I mean, we've talked about this on, on the other podcast about, mm -hmm. 
you know, like the Pony Express might have been invented to carry, you know, drawings of soulmate marks around. So, um, the Pony I actually think Express it'd be kind would have started much sooner. Yeah, right. <laughs> I actually think once you lock eyes with somebody, that you would know that, that was them. It wouldn't be a matter of you just wander around till you bump into the right person. Y'all need to trust me a little bit on the world building front here. I'd make it make sense. <laughs> so it's a Marco. <laughs> right. And there could be a situation like that, but you know, I would think the moment people start to feel something, there'd probably be people would be very accustomed to people like, oh, somebody found their soulmate. Everybody stop moving. <laughs> Everybody stops and watches and they're like, oh, they found each other. That's so sweet. Shit, I'm like for work. <laughs> Sorry, there was a soulmate thing on the train today. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is a case of like, what do I want my soulmate, my world? What, how do I want, how easy do I want it to be for soulmates to find each other? Um, do I want there to be, you know, do I want people to have, um, have other relationships before they find their soulmate? Is everybody waiting until they get to their soulmate? So depending on what I want to accomplish with the story and how much of like, canon relationships I want to preserve I kind of do the world building for the soulmate to meet that need so how do they end up in the same room together <clears throat> I don't know um, I mean that's probably true the, the ATF and military could wind up ATF and NCIS could have joint operations if if ATF is looking going after you know, a bunch of weapons and part of them are military weapons they could wind up like Oh, this is my case. No, this is my case. Want to bet? <laughs> um, um, right now we're talking about potentially Chris Larrabee as Tony's soulmate. Someone said Tony could be undercover. What if he was undercover and the guys from ATF arrest everybody? And Chris is all like, I can't fucking believe my soulmate is a fucking criminal. Right? <laughs> out there fit <laughs> why are you so mad that's my soulmate in that room he's a fucking criminal <laughs> that would be amusing as yes, we'd be like how would he say it because <laughs> because he's the really complicated one right <laughs> he's looked him up on the internet he's uh, he's well off the internet but he's looked him up he's not actually a criminal it's okay you can calm down <laughs> mistakes were made <clears throat> Um, that would be fun. I don't know where I would go with that. Um, I was thinking one of the things I was wondering about is what is, what would be an interesting moment? There's any moments in canon that'd be interesting for them to intersect and kind of pull Tony away. Um, in NCIS canon? Yeah. Well, okay. there aren't any, there aren't any ATF canon moments. Unless Tony yeah, yeah, yeah. Time travels to the old West. I've got my my Tony specific and you know and yeah, but the thing is, there's probably there might be some, yes, definitely before Jean. Um, that's an interesting suggestion. Hers boxed in. Because aren't there guns in that thing? No, there's counterfeit money, mm -hmm. and I think no, there might have been guns. There might have been guns. There, the DVDs were covering were covering the DVDs were in the front part, and they were covering. Um, counterfeit, and they were covering counterfeit money. But when they found the other compartment, I don't remember if it was bomb, bomb material, or guns back there. But either way, it, whatever was back there that was headed for Al Qaeda would would have been something the ATF could have been tracking. 
Dark is asking if there wasn't a dirty ATF agent in season one or two. There was. Um, she, I remember her. I remember her pointing her gun at Tony. Um, but I don't remember which episode that was. I'm gonna get rid of the clacky keyboard. I'm hesitant to type because it's really noisy on this bamboo lap desk, and uh, we just don't need that kind of negativity. <laughs> the the clicky clicky's a little worse on the bamboo lap um, lap desk. Yeah, it's it really. Yeah, he was undercover. Uh, what what episode is that? Off the off the. You think it was guns that were in the crate? So box den is an interesting suggestion. I'm gonna I'm gonna make some notes about box den. Um, it could be because it could be the ATF team that gets him out instead of Gibbs. Um, yes, Ellie did do Ezra and Tony, your stepbrothers. Split decision. Thank you. Art. So regardless of what I plot, I might go back and um, watch that episode and see if it's a better fit. Because I obviously can't stop right now and watch it. Um, so what do you mean, where is he from? I mean, like geographically? They live in Denver. Chris Larrabee is a character that was originally in the Magnificent Seven, which was a Western. And then there's a giant AU set in ATF that everybody else writes in. <laughs> more, way more than they write in the Old West stuff. Because, and the funny thing is, there's so much more. Um, there's so much the pro, so the M set the ATF AU is so prolific. Uh, oh my God, my word retrieval problems are bad tonight. Um, so prolific thank you ellie um that most i think anybody who didn't know it was a western the tv show is western thinks that the show is about a team of seven atf agents i mean i honestly look for it on imdb and i was like why am i not finding it <laughs> and then right. and then i asked somebody and they were like oh you sweet summer child <laughs> <laughs> it was a western that I'm was like, somebody's <laughs> that is that is an example of someone doing exceptional world building that people just like yes that one because there are actually dozens and dozens and dozens of open open meaning you can write in them um mag 7 aus there are dozens of them but the one that people were like yes that's the one that makes sense to me is the atf one and I, probably because it's it sort of mirrors the rhythm of a procedural and people are very comfortable with procedurals yeah so yeah the au was created by mog so um it always good to credit the person who created it i mean so i think e like doing it that early on would be really good is boxed in before or after jean before because that all goes thinking... together boxed in yeah. is shortly after ziva comes on the team right yeah very shortly after um i think it's episode four or uh no it's episode 12 12 but that's still pretty you know that's like halfway through the season it's not right after i i just i just checked ziva's arrival is um well she actually arrives in episode one basically but um she technically joins the team on uh episode four i think so if you look at the events of boxed in and you ask yourself, what if ATF was also watching these guys when they weren't in canon? At what point would have ATF interfered? Probably right after they got locked in, which could I be right, which would be right on the time that Ziva opened fire in that box. And you could actually write a, the scene very interestingly from their point of view, somebody you know, from Chris's point of view, like on the radio, going, "What the hell is she doing? <laughs> Did somebody just open for the?" 
didn't was anybody in that box container besides the two ATF agents? And they're like, no, that container was empty. Well, who's shooting in a metal box? I mean, it would like immediately they get them out and Tony's bleeding. Um, it would make them very suspicious of her. Um, and two, this this bitch just shot his soulmate. <laughs> Right. And she didn't hit it. the only person who shot who shot anybody. That's one of the things that was that's canon is Ziva didn't hit anybody. Tony's all the bullets that landed in a body were Tony's. So that's interesting, and it also prevents that whole all the stuff that happened in the container because they'd get them out right away. Mm -hmm. um, so it wouldn't get moved. He wouldn't spend all that time with her in that box and. They wouldn't set stuff on fire to try to keep warm, which was ridiculous. Really just recovering from the fucking plague. He's recovering from the plague, and they're in an enclosed space with just teeny tiny little air holes, and they're they're letting lighting fires. No. Well, she said, "Well, not not, not all successful." Uh, um, Ziva did get a bullet in Tony. True enough. True enough. But it's you know plot plot. So that's I think that's a good. I, I do think that's a good one um, because it, there's a reason why the ATF would be there. Um, we could also look at the, um, I, not we, but me could watch that split decision episode and see what um, happened in that. Because I do vaguely remember the dirty ATF agent. Um, this is early enough on that you don't have to write Gibbs being a dick. Yeah. And I don't think Tony would be desperate to leave NCIS. Um so it would be nice, and I like him leaving because he's got options, not because he's, you know, backed into a corner and hates his life. I've written that too, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I prefer writing him leaving up from a place of strength. And, and um, also, you know, it's just, it's a lot, it's, sometimes you just get tired of writing the same damn thing over and over again. That too. I think she was deliberately trying to shoot Tony in that. Well, that's a that'd be a very different thing if they got went in there and she turned that gun directly on Tony rather than. Um, but he'd be dead. I mean, if she just turned the gun straight on him and shot him point blank, um, even if he ducked, all she has to do is fire again. So, I mean, if she's deliberately trying to shoot him, he's going to be dead in an enclosed space like that where he's not expecting in the ambush. I don't care how bad her aim is. But also, she's not that dumb. I mean, you want to write a character. Sometimes you want to just bash the shit out of a character, right? And, and Ziva's a good one to bash because I don't like her. But she's not that stupid. Ballistics. They already know what her gun's firing. She's not going to shoot Tony in that container on purpose and kill him. Because that's murder and she's going to get caught. Yeah, and she wouldn't have used the ricochet to hit him on purpose because she was risking hitting herself. She just did that. That was just stupid. It was just pure stupidity. So... Um, it's badly written stupidity. It it does. I mean, they're trying to tout her as being this really, you know, high, um, this elite operative for Mossad, but then she can't hit the broadside of a barn. And but she did manage to shoot her own partner a container by opening up by, by opening fire in a metal container. So here's who it is is back to back where she looks completely fucking incompetent. Yeah. See, the problem is I can come up with like any number of ways for, for the meet and greet kind of thing, but I don't know where I would go with this pairing other than Tony goes back to Denver. You don't have like, a lot of meat for 30 K. Yeah. It's just, my brain is just kind of going, I got, there's, there's like, this is like 10 or 12 K. Eh, there's gotta be more. I got, gotta. I mean, this would go off better as a Sentinel guy bonding fic. Yeah, it would. But then Ziva would be dead because it's one thing to shoot a man's soulmate. It's another thing to shoot his guide. Right. So. 
I mean, yes, I could take him to Denver and put him with the FBI or with the ATF or, you know, um, but eh, I'm noodling here. Family wedding in Denver? It's a little too curtain curtain pick. That's a little too curtain pick for me. I mean, if you want something, see, the, the problem is, is like, okay, there's not enough, not, not enough meat here, but if you moved into a mine, something like Criminal Minds, well, the minimum word count is 30, so there's no maximum in April. I just think if it's like Tony moving into the FBI, becoming part of that team, there's going to be a case, you're looking at 50K. <laughs> you know, just... Yeah, I could do a case with ATF, of course, but I, honestly, I understand the scope of FBI investigations a lot better than I understand it, ATF. Not that yeah. it's impossible, but um, and I actually don't enjoy writing Tony as an undercover agent where that's his primary function. Um, then you have to ask yourself, is it common for soulmates to work together? Is that a thing? Maybe it's not a thing, but maybe his relationship with Spencer um, encourages him to branch out. If you said it later in canon, um, it maybe it encourages him to take a really good look at what he's experiencing at NCIS versus what he's experiencing with Spencer in their off time with the, with the team at the FBI. Yeah, because if it's early, early NCIS canon, it'd be very early because uh, Criminal Minds starts two years after. Um, and, and Spencer yes, could, would be I, very, very young and it would be weird. Yeah, I, I could adjust the the timelines, but I just, they're both CBS crime dramas. I tend to not adjust those timelines. Um, not that not that meeting somebody doing continuing education isn't a fine way as like to meet in general in a story, but I don't find it a very interesting way for soulmates to meet, I guess. It feels like it lacks drama. You know what I mean? Not that it has to have drama, but I just it geared that way. There are law enforcement conventions or or type things. Meeting I mean, buff- he could meet either one of these characters a number of ways. Um, well, you know, huh? If I didn't want to focus on the, oh no, I would never write a mob story for Tony. That would that would no. Um, and also, t- Spencer would be like an infant, <laughs> right? <laughs> Cradle robbing. <laughs> Spencer, the the very first episode of Criminal Minds, Spencer isn't old enough to actually be in the field. They had to get a special dispensation for him to be in the field. I thought that was because he hadn't done his firearms certification. It was because he was too young. In fact, the FBI consultant told Matthew that his circumstances on the show were improbable. So apparently because of the character's to- age. Apparently, you have to be 23 to get into the FBI Academy. So um, when he f- when he first started at the FBI, he wouldn't have been old enough. That's true. If he turned 24 so, in the first season, then he wouldn't have been old enough when he f- went to the Academy. So his age has always been an issue. And you don't want to put, um, in pre-NCIS canon would put Spencer 18, 19 years old. Gross. It's just a little creepy. It's just a little young. But if I, I, I'm not I could say nine if, year olds are gross. I'm just saying that Tony was already in his. Uh, he would have been in his thirties, right? Or almost. No, he would have been in his late mid to late twenties. He would have I, been. I think if, 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 if it was nineteen years old, hitting somebody close to thirty is a little. 
But it's just, it, he would have been he would have been twenty so uh, for about twenty six about 20, if it was Philly had been because I always do Philly for the mob thing not Baltimore like Cannon because we've talked about this Baltimore makes right. twenty no he would have been about twenty six or twenty seven um, so and Spencer would be eighteen or nineteen years old and that just a maybe, little creepy it's just a, I just I think it's just a little young um, especially for, considering Spencer's emotional intelligence. Yeah, so it feels a little squiffy. So I wouldn't, I don't think I would do a pre-series then meeting. Um, again, if I wanted to, if I really wanted it to be pre-series, I would have to change the timeline. I would have to adjust where, you know, Criminal Minds falls. But then that required, that's a lot. Of, it's actually a giant pain in the ass to slide timelines around because you have to then go and adjust everybody's ages and, when you know, the year they were born and blah, 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 blah. I don't know what you mean by there goes Teen Wolf Cannon. Oh, Oh, Styles began the FBI at 18. Styles wasn't in the FBI, though. He was doing like an apprenticeship, I thought, or sort of a, he wasn't actually in the FBI Academy. He was doing some special program. Yeah. In, okay. An intern program. Thank you. So he had a special internship. He wasn't actually an FBI agent and he wasn't at the FBI Academy. So there's a little bit different circumstances. And he, so he would not have had a badge and been out in the field. Um, I have no idea what CW is. But anyway, um, but instead of instead of doing like, because the thing is, is if instead of doing like the meat cute or the meat angst or the meat drama, and then having um, them try to fit a case or something in, what if they meet on a case, and the case is how they meet, and the case is personal? Um, sorry, I'm 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 like totally lost by. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ignore the chat room for a minute, guys, because I'm. I'm confused about what's, what you guys are talking about. Um, what if I, I had an idea and I'd have to adapt it heavily because it wouldn't fit the way I originally conceived it at all. But what if um, the, the BAU was called in for a case? Um, ooh, ooh. What if Tony insisted that the BAU be called in for the case? Because I imagine that the NCIS is, with their little brother syndrome that they're going on, I don't think that they're going to be really thrilled about calling the FBI in for help. What if Tony insisted? Because he, there's a serial killer fixated on him. And this is the idea I've kind of had plotted before, but it was a little too gruesome. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'd never done much with it. What if it was not quite so gruesome as how I'd plotted it in the past? Um, which is a little bit Hannibal Lecter-ish. Um, <laughs> mm. um, it, and I, I don't know that I'm trying to think if this would work out because it provides an angstier backdrop. I mean, they wouldn't just like fall into each other's arms and be all because there's a serial killer, right? During the middle of this investigation, which serial killer? I, She'd make her I own. Be, I'd make my own. I wouldn't pick a canon one because a canon one wouldn't serve my purposes. Oh, I have a terrible idea. Okay, hit me with it. Okay. What if there's a serial killer out there targeting fathers and sons and he kills senior. <laughs> oh. The BAU comes to NCIS. Oh. Because they anticipate that Tony is the next target. Right. My only concern with this is um um it basically removes Tony from the story. He's a victim, a potential victim. They're gonna put him in protective custody and he's not gonna be involved in that investigation at all. His father's just been murdered. He's a potential if target. If he's being stalked by a serial killer, he would be removed from the investigation anyway. Except the way that I had it was that the serial killer had like sent all these pictures and had all this stuff. And so they have to, they're trying to 
mine Tony for information. Like, where was this picture taken? Who do you know who could have taken this? Where were you? When was this? So, and Tony was the lead agent um, on the case before they figured out that Tony was the target. Um, Because my thought was that this killer is, what he's trying to do is, um, this is his way of being engaged with Tony, is to drop bodies that Tony has to investigate. Okay, Thanos. Yeah. (laughs) So Tony has to... Um, he can't, they can't just dismiss the guy who knows the most about the case. So right. it's a, it's a, it's a way, it was a, a vehicle to keep him involved because most situations where he's just gonna, what did she do? She said, what if he kills Jackson Gibbs? Why would I do that? <laughs> well, but I, it, yeah, it's, so then, so they, so you're saying, so you're saying they come to NCIS because Gibbs is the target, man, that is a cranky Gibbs. <laughs> Jackson, yeah, you all up in his business. <laughs> his father's dead, and they're trying to control him. I mean, that's actually just—I kind of am. Cr- I mean, it, it's actually—it's—it's it, it's a better ve- It's a good vehicle for keeping Tony involved in the investigation. But man, gives it be a nightmare. I mean, if we're gonna kill somebody, let's kill Tim's dad. <laughs> He's an admiral. Oh, well, that would be a jurisdictional issue, wouldn't it? What would be a jurisdictional issue? If the serial killer killed Tim's dad, he's an admiral in the Navy. Yeah. They have a case full of dead fathers and sons. Tim's the target. Tim goes into protective custody. And Tony talks Gibbs into letting the BAU, them working together to catch this guy before this guy kills Tim. (laughs) So you have to excuse me. I haven't had any tea in the last hour and a half. I'm out. Uh Uh-oh. Um, sometimes I have no idea what y'all are talking about. None. Oh, criminal minds. I was like, CW, what is CW? Put your M upside down. Um, let me think. So we could do, I definitely could do something like that. Or it could be Vance who gets killed. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Which means they'd be going out, the target would be his son, which is a less problematic character to put into protective custody. Um, and Vance being killed would actually be the, um, so if we kill Vance, does that become the FBI's case? Yes, it does. Unless, well, no, not unless, unless they'd already been tracking the serial killer because they he'd been killing parent, you know, maybe fathers and sons in the Navy. In the, in the Navy, so they already had him on their radar, but then they asked this killer escalated. And once they started killing civilians, um, Vance or or an, another agent, um, it would chaps Gibbs' ass if the BAU only agreed to take Tony for consulting. Yeah, it would. Which is amusing. Do I want you to take place that late in the timeline? Um, yeah, because that's, that is... that's post-yawn. So. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of things I could do. Um, it, Tony wouldn't have to have taken the the Jean thing. That could have gone down differently. And, in, it, and there, there's some reasons why in a soulmate world... It might have gone down differently. She could have already been married. Yeah, she could have already met her soulmate. So, um... There, that is an amusing um, option, Reaper. I appreciate that. Reaper says, Kate would have a fit if they took Tony, but wouldn't consider her. <laughs> right? But Kate would be <laughs> dead by the then. Profiler. You gotta remember, NC- yeah. two years behind... Um, two years behind NCIS. So keep that in your head, which means it's basically season three, I think, is when 
we get Gideon and L, two characters I don't want to deal with. So if we push it a little further out, we're in, definitely firmly into Shepherd territory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to go to season three of, um, which will give you Rossi and Prentice. Yeah, which is season five of NCIS. So that's got to be at least got to go at least that far. Let me see if anything interesting happened in season five before I go down the serial killer montage. I thought Chimera was actually a pretty interesting episode. That's the one with the creepy ship with the possible contagion on it. And they end up blowing it up. Um, actually, there's a lot of ripples in season five if Jean already has her soulmate. Requiem is an interest is one of the more interesting episodes in season five, but I don't know that would have any impact on the FBI situation. Y'all are just brutal. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, brutal. So in canon, Shepard thought that the frog killed her father she didn't think he committed suicide well what if he didn't commit suicide um what if this serial killer killed him and they're not and they don't recognize it as one of his kills until he kills he or she kills um jenny shepherd so it's not just fathers and sons fathers and children or you could do fathers and daughters and when jenny shepherd's killing has all the hallmarks of this serial killer, they go back and realize that her father um, didn't commit suicide. I'm not writing Dark Wheel Oil, guys. I'm not going to kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no murder ticker. Um, There's no reason to say that um, her father didn't live longer in this AU. That's true. If he... Ew, Ellie. Ellie. God. Your brain. I don't know. There's something. There's something. <laughs> so Ellie's contribution was that the frog was Jasper Shepard's soulmate. Um, he left Jenny's mother to join the frog um, rather than commit suicide, I guess. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's an interesting idea that Renee Benoit and well, Jasper Shepard were soulmates. What if, what if that is it? Not that. But what if the killer is targeting men who have left their nuclear families to be with their soulmates? Huh, okay. And so he kills the father and he kills the child. And what he's doing basically is he's killing his own father over and over again because his father left him and his mother. Well, killing the kids would be um, like killing himself. It'd be like, a, well, he would consider it a mercy. Yeah, yeah. But it, it eventually, I mean... If That's the still- same reason that family annihilators will kill their kids first and then themselves because they feel like their kids would not survive without them. So they want to not make sh- they want to make sure they don't hurt. I mean, it's not real. Yeah. It's, it doesn't. It's not rational, but because they're, they're mentally ill. But, um, but so sim- this symbolically, though, if he's killing the parents and you know in in placement for their his parents, he's killing the kids in place of himself. Right. I mean, I don't and- think he would kill the frog. I th- I think he would just kill Jasper. I think he would just kill the parent that destroyed the marriage. Right. Marriages with a single child. Because that represents himself. Or herself. She's not writing a Darkly Little AU, guys. Don't stop making her kill this. Um, and killing Senior and Jasper would be contrived. She's got to be one be. or the other. Also, um, I, I don't want to put a a plot line in place that um, puts Tony, Tony in protective custody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, like I said, I, I have, there is a fairly complex plot that I've already kind of worked up that 
would allow Tony to stay involved in the case because they wouldn't have a choice. He'd be the, he would have been the agent investigating the serial killer up to that point. So they couldn't just abandon his knowledge. But once he's like, if he's just straight up the target of a serial killer, he's not going to be involved in the case. There's going to be no soulmate action. It's going to be him sitting in a, in a safe house, you know, them not together. So that's just not very interesting. Um, I don't think anything happens to the surviving soulmate. It doesn't really. Oh, you mean like, am I writing it? You mean like in my world building would like a, if one soulmate dies, does the other die? I don't, I don't write that kind of thing. I mean, I think that kind of thing could happen for people who are very close, but it's kind of like, you know, broken heart syndrome. But it, It'd be but, more like a fading thing. Yeah. But I, yeah, like, I mean, sometimes somebody just dies within like 24 hours of the person that they love dying. That just happens in this world. So I'm sure it could happen in a soulmate world, but would it be like an instantaneous death because your soulmate died? I would never write that. It has, it has interesting ripples and not all of them are great. Cause like, what yeah. if you're like, what, what if you're a pilot and your soulmate is like a doctor and the doctor is going to an emergency and they're driving too fast and they have an accident. Meanwhile, you're a pilot and you're piloting a 747 and your soulmate has died and you die with them. Your co-pilot's gonna have a very bad day. <laughs> yeah, very bad. I, I've I've read the instant death thing um, in other stories, and every time I kind of make a face because all I'm thinking about is the ripples of people just suddenly dropping dead because their soulmate died, and it just I did it in um, that old black magic, but it had more to do with the fact of their magical bond and core breakage. It was about their magical core um that because of who they were that they 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 lived and died together but it was about magical bonds and connections and the the, the the magical core but even then it wouldn't be like instantaneous yeah um so somebody suggested that tony finds a series of cold cases it puts i guess puts the case together and then wants to call the bau um they pretty much use that plot device in de novo so um yeah Exactly. So I don't. I wouldn't do that again. Um, at least not in exactly that way. No, no, it's fine. And some people, there's nothing wrong with reusing your plot devices, but um, I at least want to be aware that I'm reusing them. Yeah, you you could do, but I mean, I wouldn't do it. So th having a mechanism for soulmates to die slowly is just not something that I would need to plot in because I just don't find it to be a. I I. I think just like in the world we have already, there would be cases of fading after one died, but I wouldn't. But the other side of it is, is this isn't a detail that's necessarily specifically necessary for her. I mean, we could, you could spend 45 minutes to an hour or a week trying to build that world building for one sentence in her story. Right. Um, and because unless... the surviving soulmates don't, don't, don't have any. Yeah. There's no, there's no surviving soulmates really in the story. So, um, I wouldn't have. I mean, they might interview them or something, I guess. Um, although that could be. Now, here's where you might do it. I'm going to I'm gonna backtrack it. Here's where you might do it. Is if it's relevant that all of them died within a week or two. Let's say you wanted them to have no witnesses. The serial killer effectively gets the soulmates by killing. But then it becomes a bigger part of the plot. They can't interview the surviving soulmates. Or it becomes urgent that they interview the surviving soulmate before he fades. You know, so, mm -hmm. but that's be but that's because it becomes a point in your plot. Now, I wouldn't use that just because I don't like the idea of you know 
it being a death sentence because your soulmate died. Uh, so I wouldn't use that particular bit of world building, but that is where it could be relevant to put that time in for a story like this is because it becomes a part of the external conflict. True, Ellie. If the soulmate were to die um, just because their soulmate died, you couldn't send soulmates into combat. Well, unless you sent them together. And even then it could be catastrophic if one got shot and the other didn't, you know? Right. So it's just, it's, it's just a, it, the ripples of that kind of thing are complicated. It's not that you can't do it, but it's complicated. So it has to be worth it to me. And, and there's nothing about this. There's nothing about it would be worth it to, to spend the time dealing with the complications. Um, okay. I can see that. But I mean, if, end, it, if it, when you're writing, you have to, it, it, it literally does have to be worth it. If you're going to invest that, that much time not only in your plot process, but also in your narrative. And it's going to pay off. Otherwise, you wasted your time. Yeah. So, um, I don't think I would go so far. Dead Air is kind of out there. Um, I mean, it's only an additional three years, but uh, that's three years that Tony's relationship with Gibbs went really bad. Yeah. So, it's... it's I've, I mean, I have certainly have written Dead Air, and I, I've enjoyed it, but... Um, it's it's a it's a problematic timeline for me, actually. If you want to write Gibbs being, you know, kind of amused by Tony's angst about meeting a soulmate and being like, you know, here I'll pour you a drink. <laughs> Tony's sitting on Gibbs' stairs going, Gibbs. <laughs> you got you gotta do, do it with this. You gotta do <laughs> it before you gotta do it before um before Jenny Shepard dies. I mean, Gibbs just turned into a dick. Um so yeah, you just gotta you gotta pick your moment for it's like what kind of Gibbs do you want to write? Do you want to write a Gibbs that cooks Tony a steak and gives him a drink out of his nail jar? <laughs> it sounded weird. <laughs> That's what happens. Because if, if you do, you have to write it soon. Yeah, you, you have to write it, and then Tony sleeps on Gibbs's couch and he's bitching about his soulmate. <laughs> that doesn't happen if you know post Jenny Shepard. It happens some. I was just thinking about the episode Obsession, but I think it's in season eight. No, it's season seven. Is it? Which is still pretty late. Obsession was an interesting um, episode in the sense of the the the. It was the the assassin thing, is killing people with ricin, and Tony's whole emotional landscape in that in that episode was interesting. Um, Gibbs was remarkably supportive of Tony being so. Um, because you know, in that episode, um, in Obsession they've got this missing reporter and Tony becomes just sort of fixated on her. He just thinks that she's um, like everything perfect and beautiful. It's like sort of love at first sight sort of vibe from watching her. I think it's a reporter. Um, anyway, when he finally finds her, he does figure out how to find her. Like, I think he actually like defied orders to, to find her and, and give her a way to contact him. And she did. And uh, she'd already been poisoned by the time he found her. So it was just, it was a really kind of one of the more painful um, episodes for Tony because this, the episode ends with him going to see Gibbs. You know, he, Tony stayed with her at the hospital while she died of rice and poison. And then he goes and sits on Gibbs stairs, just kind of miserable with life. And it was, it was one of the very different episodes for Tony. It, it showed a lot of depth for him. Um, a little bit, the whole fixation on a woman he's never met was a little bit weird. But it's called Obsession. It's season seven, um, episode twenty-one. I actually would, I actually would like um, writing 
I like writing. Uh, the idea of writing Tony in New Orleans is fun. I like pride, but I don't think I would do a soulmate story with those two. It just doesn't kind of resonate for me. I, I totally am okay with those two banging, but I just am not, I just, I don't think the soulmate thing kind of works for me for them for, I don't, probably because the ripples with pride's backstory is just really complicated. But anyway, um, Reaper, what happened with the first episode with his dad? Sorry, I missed that comment earlier. Oh, the first time Senior showed up, he ended, he ended up at Gibbs' house for steak and booze. Yeah. I mean, you know, fair. Yeah, Senior, if I, you know, if my father showed up, I'd be wanting to go somewhere for steak and booze, too. So that happens a couple times in season. So we really actually explored that dynamic between them the most in season seven, which was weird. Um so, okay, so whatever the serial killer mechanism is, let's set that aside a little bit. Tony winds up working, either the BAU comes to NCIS or Tony goes to the BAU. Which is better? I think that Tony going to the BAU is less toxic. True. Because if you have them in NCIS, you're going to have to deal with Abby's, Abbiness, Tim, Tim's Timminess, <laughs> Ziva's bitchiness. Or Kate's bitchiness. So, but someone said mentioned earlier that what if Jenny just lent, lent him out? What if she did? What if during hiatus he said no to the undercover Jean Benoit? Yeah. And she punished him by putting his whole team on cold cases. And he comes across a cold case that ends up matching with something at the BAU. And he flags it to go to the BAU. The BAU gets it and asks Shepard if they can talk with the agent. And she just says, well, you know, you can have him. And she just sends him over there, thinking she's punishing him further. That could be interesting. Really interesting. Um, and yeah, it would give him an opportunity to see a healthier team dynamic. Um, it could also stop that whole Remy thing if you do it before that so that dude doesn't end up in jail for something he didn't do because tim was an asshole well but if tony's team is on cold cases somebody else has been investigating that episode anyway that okay. that case anyway so and then i don't know what she ended up doing with tim and ziva but is that really your problem no no <laughs> it wouldn't be tony's problem either <laughs> i mean i could work all those details those are just those are nits in the grand right. scheme of things um but the cold case, it, it does a couple of things. It it highlights something that Tony already does in canon. It um, it takes away any idea that he might not be involved because it's not related to him or anything else to do with him or anybody he knows. Uh, and maybe it gives them a fresh lead on a case and takes them down a rabbit hole, so to speak. I like the fresh lead thing. Like maybe their case had gone cold because they didn't have they hadn't connected enough victims. And okay, and maybe the victim that Tony has is like the in between, connects the old victims to the new victims, and they find a new set of victims because of it. You know, something in his MO changed, but this case, this particular case, it has the old MO and the new MO in it. What if the killer got injured? It's a permanent injury, and he had to change the way he killed as a result. And this injury happened in this cold case that Tony has. So it has a mixture of both. Okay. And maybe it's um, the wife or the husband of a current service member. Not really the Navy, but it happened on a Navy base or happened in Navy housing or whatever, you know. It, it was adjacent 
So it ended up being an NCIS case, but they were a civilian. And this case connects the, the series of killings because the MO change. It, it'd be really interesting if, like, the partner was Navy and, like, got out of the Navy to do whatever. And they defended themselves and maimed the killer for life. They still didn't make it out, but they took their shot, so to speak, which changed their, which changes the killer's MO. Um, so it could have been like a ritual kind of thing that was happening up to, and then he killed them in one way that maybe was very physical, but this mm -hmm. person fought back and injured him in a way that he had to switch his kill method to something less physical. So you mm -hmm. had the ritual aspect and then you had this less physical killing. So it hadn't been connected. And that, okay, so I, I see where you're going with that. Okay. But the killing that in the NCIS has, the only killing they have, um, is a mixture of both. And that's how they connect the two to the new killings. And you don't want the new killings to be Navy because that takes the BAU out of it. It, be it, 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 it would become a jurisdictional nightmare. So in that if this one cold case is just a, just a seal, like a Navy dependent, like, like they used to be Navy, maybe their husband or is still in the Navy. Um, or their, well, actually, their wife was still on the Navy. This person's fight back that injured them so badly could be, they make sure they never target military again. It could be like, oh, that, that could be like an aversion therapy. It's like, no. Right, because it may be that they barely got out of it alive. Um, but you don't want, to, like someone that's saying to make the new kills, but Navy, that makes it complicated. But if it if this single cold case goes to the BAU, um, it creates a situation where the BAU can see these old cases are connected to this case and these new cases over here are also connected. We want to meet the, the the guy who saw this. Because maybe, maybe Tony puts it all together. Yeah. In Vicap before he sends it. And they're like, oh, we got to have, we, we got to meet this guy. Because look what he did. And Shepard's like, yeah, fine, fuck it. Keep him. I don't care. Because she's mad at him. I think that if the victims are female, he might have not realized that he was coming at a Navy vet um, who knew how to take care of herself and got his ass handed to him a little bit. Yeah. But if she is civilian, um, it would uh, allow, it, it would it would be less of a jurisdictional issue for, and especially if Shepard agrees that they can have the case if, if they take Tony. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> tired of this motherfucker because he wouldn't do what she wanted and as far as like the, the rest of the team goes she might send tim back to cyber crimes or send him to cyber crimes and put ziva on the undercover op well but by the time this would be occurring um gibbs would be back oh would he oh it'd have to be because we'd be a full season later so um G tony may never have made it back on the gibbs team you know like we could use the whole precedent of um and actually, you know, you, you, you could, I could work it in a few different ways. That she just, as part of her punishment, she refuses to let him go back to the MCRT because she could effectively demote him. She could be like, you know, she could she could say, I don't think you're cutting it as a team leader, and have him working cold cases. Um, and she could split the team up, and then Gibbs comes back and he gets everybody back but Tony because she refuses to bend on that. Yeah, so it would have to be a year because have to be a year after the whole Jean thing. Um, otherwise, I'm stuck with Ellen Gideon. Or at least oh, Gideon, okay, I think, okay, I think, I think. okay. Because okay. I, I, I want seasons. I want seasons of. So of, you want Rossi? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can write Gideon. I don't think I have a problem writing Gideon. I, I just, mean, 
it's just not. If I were you, I would prefer Rossi over Gideon. I prefer, I prefer Rossi like, whoa. Okay. And I prefer Emily over L. I just, I really couldn't stand L. So that's just kind of sets the frame for where it needs to be. Okay. Um, I don't think I would do the Uncle David thing in that one because I think it would come across if, I think, I think in that setup, it would come across a little bit contrived. Um, but maybe I might, I mean, it's possible because I do have a, I do have a headcanon about that. So I'll have to, I'll have to see how it feels. I mean, if she takes him back down to, um, senior field agent, uh, he could still be, he could still qualify for a team. It doesn't mean she'd let him be on one or she might send him to Norfolk. Is, is that how you say that? Norfolk, folk, folk, Norfolk. Norfolk. Sort of, sort of Norfolk, you know, but a little faster Norfolk. <laughs> Norfolk. Okay. Um, and then that will give you an opportunity to reuse your character. Wepler. Yeah, I could use Mike. Mike would try to shield him as much as possible. Um, but he also... And he, also, he would, once Mike gets him, he might tell Gibbs, like, you ain't getting him back. Fuck you. Like, Mike's like, uh-uh. And <laughs> Mike Mike wouldn't have any problem. And, and Norfolk's closer to Quantico um, than it is to DC, so... Um, well, they're less teams of family, but they're still a functional team. They're not quite. They they're don't a quite healthy environment. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's at least, and depending upon where in season three. I mean, Ro- you, you kind of get got to get past Rossi's um, initial few episodes, right? It's closer to Quantico than to, to than it is to Norfolk. This is true, but um, I'm just saying that um, Quantico is closer to Norfolk than than it is to DC. Because it's always the astonishing thing to me on the show that they get in the car to go stop a terrorist in Norfolk. It's like, it's like three hours in no traffic. <laughs> Shouldn't you be getting you a helicopter? I'm not a helicopter. <laughs> Shit. That's the whole plot. That's, that's, that's the whole plot in Twilight. You know, they're going to go stop Aerie who's targeting the naval base at Norfolk and they, they get in the car. They go by car. <laughs> they get in the car. Get in the car. I don't <laughs> care how fast. <laughs> I don't care, care how fast um, you drive. You're not making that. You're not going to stop a terrorist by driving from DC to Norfolk. So, mm. no, I I understand the distances. I've been. I used to. I used to live in the south, and I've been in that area a lot. I'm saying that it's more conceivable to drive from Norfolk to Quantico than it is to drive from Norfolk to DC. It's it's you know shaving an hour off of that drive time it can make a lot of difference. Also, there's you shave off the DC metro traffic too. Anyway, that was a whole tangent that's like completely irrelevant. Um, it's kind of relevant because they should have taken a helicopter. <laughs> they should, yeah. Get thee in a helicopter, Gibbs, or call the local police and say, "Hey, there's a bad dude." <laughs> I mean, you know, that would have been, that would have been, you know, or the local FBI office, actually. Or, hey, the guy running the cold case squad. <laughs> it, it's just, it's so absurd how often they just jaunt on over to Norfolk and in, in NCIS. It's like, that's like three and a half. Th- if you're, if with Gibbs driving with no traffic, three hours. Anybody else? Three and a half. Four, maybe. It's like, what are you hoping to accomplish with that? It's like boxed in. That starts at like six o'clock in the morning. How did they get there that quick? That takes place. In, that's, that's in Norfolk. It's like, did they leave like up at midnight? Had breakfast? Had a shower? At <laughs> Ziva was moving the day prior. It's like t- timelines. What timelines? 
geography what geography right like how'd they do that it's like there's they have a portal is what they've got they've got a portal that goes from dc to norfolk and they haven't told anybody um which is rude because apparently people need it yes you're right fire lady that it, dc mcgee was when we first meet mcgee he was stationed at norfolk so um and he did just drop by ncis hq quite a lot <laughs> I was on. I was in the area. Were you? How weird! That's a little bizarre. Are you stalking us? <laughs> it's just. It's like when the character says, "I have it figured out. I know who the bad guy is. I know what he is trying to do. I'm going to go pick him up and tell you all about it later." <laughs> no, just tell everybody what's going on and send the nearest person to stop them. What if you get hit by a bus on the way to the bad guy? Right. Well, Dallas and Fort Worth are only about forty-five minutes apart. 15 minutes apart. I used to live between the two. Night Reaper. Um, anyway, um, Bedford. I lived in Bedford, Ellie, which if you lived in Arlington, you would know where that is. So, um, I remember when I was, well, I remember when I was plotting home my coffee, I was going to have them have a dinner date in Nevada. So I get online and I look around trying to find a restaurant. And you know, there's not any. There's not any. There's like there's like a tourist stop with this weird little hotel and a gas station with a diner in it that was closed. And I was like, are you serious? Are you serious? Because they were in Area 51, right? There's not jack shit there. Except for this tiny little town with nothing in it. This is and then there's like me. four hours before there's anything else. I was like, I need, I need restaurants. <laughs> so I had to replot that part. Because I did look. <laughs> Making shit up. An underground town. I mean, honestly. I would never, ever waste my time trying to make the real world fit bizarre things that the show didn't research. I would just, I would, I would find other ways to account for the bizarre timeline. Like, they did take a car and they picked up that, you know, they did take a helicopter, but it's just not shown. And the, <laughs> and the, the vehicle they checked out was checked out at Norfolk Naval Base. You know, I mean, it would, it would have to, I'd have to do something to make those timelines make more sense. Um, because it's just, it's just stupid to get in the car to go stop a terrorist four hours away. And, um, I don't know. An hour in a car for a first date dinner seems a little sketchy, especially when you're driving from uh, Rachel, Nevada to Las Vegas. <laughs> That's a lot of empty desert road. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, nah, dude, nah, dude. <laughs> we'll just have a picnic on the base. <laughs> Next to that no trespassing sign. <laughs> That's a whole lot of dope. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You want to drive me deep into the desert? Uh, let me think about that. How about no? <laughs> Anyways, it just it just struck me when you were talking about that. It's just it is it's, it was ridiculous. I was so I was so frustrated. <laughs> you're like you're like me. There's nothing out there. Why is it there is just one? Why is it there one? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. And all I could think was, this is not how it looked at Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to your back to your plot. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so they meet over the case. And then it this gives a good backdrop for there's a lot of lot of little things that are going on. There's um Tony deciding to leave NCIS because I think that he probably would. Um 
he's not going to want to live if he's actually been stationed at Norfolk, which is where the NCIS cold case unit is, by the way. Um, if that's actually where he's stationed, then he's not going to want to be two plus hours away from two and a half hours away from his soulmate. So I think he's going to be looking to leave. Uh, and then there's all, if chef, if Shepard's doing all this crap to punish him, there's that to deal with. I'm just thinking through the, all the stuff. Um, let me think. Okay. So they, then they work the case together. Um, of course they figure out their soulmates right away. And of course they're not able to deal with it because they've got a case they've got to work on. It does put the backdrop for the story being a serial killer case. So, you know, I have to be sure going in that I'm, I'm good with that. That's always a consideration. Are you down for serial killer this, this week? Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're like, no. Well, actually, it'd be a whole month. Are you down for for a whole month? <laughs> oh, this yeah, you're right. This month, are you down for a serial killer this month? But what you could do is kind of like have in your mind two different ways to do the serial killer. Um, and if you're if you're someone who can, and Sasha can Julie specifically, but just in general to to the people listening, if you're sensitive to those kinds of scenes or situations, um, you can always, like, number one, never get in the killer's POV. Um, and two, uh, try to write your scenes, construct your scenes in a way where you aren't, where your POV character isn't with the body. Yeah, that takes some of the gruesomeness out of it. Just, just to kind of m- mitigate what you're dealing with. You know what I mean? And also, probably, based on links, um, our supposed links and um, sensitivity, you might not have any fresh kills during the course of your work. Yeah. It's still an angsty backdrop to be putting characters together in, which may not be what somebody wants to write. Um, That's something I have to consider. Um, I like the idea, but... That is always an issue is that do I want to do an angsty backdrop? But that's one of the issues with um, um, that's one of the issues with doing um, any kind of longer serial soulmate story, not serial soulmate story, is you do have to get somewhat plotty. You have to have a little bit more in it than just we met, we bonded, you know, we had, well, I mean, I guess it depends on how much sex you write. I wrote a, I read a story that was 150K recently, about 130 of it was sex. But also one of the reasons why I think that we originally decided that we would do the paranormal and the soulmates in April and July was because of the shorter word count. And that in 50, it, like in, in November, we picked time travel because, you know, time travel gives you a lot. I mean, you have lots of room in time travel. There's, there's lots of built in plot elements when you're doing a time travel that can push you right through 50 K. Yeah. I mean, we could have done, I mean, there's no, there's no maximum in April, but, um, Right. Could have done it then. But it definitely wasn't going to be time travel. Definitely wasn't going to be July. So, no. Um, that would have been an exercise in masochism that even I wouldn't have enjoyed. Like I'm like, how are we going to do this again? This isn't fun. Trying to, to trying to squeeze a time travel story in under 25K. Thank you, Kira. You're welcome. Although it would be really interesting if it is a cold case. And maybe like the most recent murder has been like six months or so. But what if it's a really famous one? like btk level or like i don't know what you call it um or like the zodiac or something not right. that i'm not like that the, i'm gonna say he would solve the zodiac but a famous serial killer right because then, then it just kind of rubs it in jenny's face that her that her former agent that she 
ran out of the agency because she was being a twat, um, ended up solving like one of the most famous serial killing cases in modern history. Yeah. You know, I could do the because you can put it right up there at the level of um go ahead. Um I could do the I I I could do the the better environment at NCIS um already. If Tony goes to work for Wepler doing cold cases as a punishment, he could actually refuse to leave. He could see maybe it's not a family dynamic on the team, but he sees how it's much healthier, healthier it's so much healthier for him that when Gibbs tries to reassemble his team, Tony's like, nah. I don't want to come back. No, I can't. I'm sorry. He tells Mike, he says, don't let them take me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go, Mike. Don't let them take me. <laughs> hiding behind Mike Wepler's skirt. <laughs> like, it's, there's nothing wrong with hiding behind somebody's skirt sometimes. Sometimes you need to. <laughs> Where are your skirts? I need to hide. I, I'm willing to hide behind Kira's skirts. <laughs> Carrie, where you get a skirt on, I need to hide behind it. <laughs> strategic, <laughs> strategic skirt deployment. I like that. <laughs> so they could, um, and in that case, in that in that instance, Spencer's twenty seven. I think that's pretty doable. Um, yeah, that works. Tony would be about six years older, I think. So yeah, it doesn't bother me. Five year age difference does not bother me. It bothers me when one of the characters is. It, it it even isn't about the five years and one character being eighteen. It's about the level of emotional maturity of the characters. Um, because like in like in Teen Wolf, where you have about that age difference, the more emotionally mature character is the younger one, for sure. With right? with Derek and Styles, I remember being twenty six years old and thinking, um, you know, you know, eighteen thought. It was, 18's fine, 18's fine. And then I met, I'm an adult. I am seriously an adult. <laughs> I was never that young. I was never that ridiculous. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> it's because it makes a world of difference. Experience, getting out, seeing something of the world, living on your own a little bit. It makes a big difference. Yeah, it does. Because there's a world of difference between, say, 18 and 25 when there isn't so much between 25 and 30. Yeah. But it depends upon what the person was doing between 16 and 18. You know? Right. You know, if you're running from your running from your life from every supernatural creature known to man, that's a little bit of a different setup than what Spencer Reed has. So it's not just strictly an age formula. The characters have a resonance about them. And I feel like 18-year-old Spencer with 25 or 26-year-old Tony, it feels like, Tony, you bad man. <laughs> that's what it feels to me. So even if it's what's not... What's interesting about Styles' character is that all those kids went through the same thing and he was the only one that grew up. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> you little <That's> freak <laughs> I say that lovingly by the way um, Ed gave us a little meme of a, a, of a kid clinging to their daddy's legs says, don't let them take me Mike <laughs> um, so Mike um, Tony works for Mike Mike's in um, there are NCIS offices in Quantico Actually, well, technically, in the real world, that's where headquarters are. They moved there in, um, I want to say 2009, but I'd have to double check. They moved in 2011. 
So actually, the NCIS would still be, at this timeline, NCIS HQ would still be at the Navy Yard. Um, there was a, the bank, I think that was NCIS, um, the bank robbery at Quantico. I think that was NCIS, I'm pretty sure. Um, there was also a bank robbery situation on Criminal Minds because yeah, AJ's husband. I, yeah, we're going to have to have more information now. <laughs> um, JJ's okay. husband, not AJ. Yeah, JJ. Will Will LaMontagne. Um, so Tony refuses the assignment. Um, and you could go a few, I could go in a few different ways about why he refused it. She could already have a soulmate, so she's not really dateable. Um, it could be that she doesn't date people who aren't her soulmate. So that was never going to happen anyway. Uh, but anyway, in any case, he just refuses the assignment. He won't, you know, be, he's not going to stalk her, not going to try to seduce her. Um, because I think the only reason that he, because he resisted the whole idea of sleeping with Jean. Um, he didn't, that was, he didn't want to. And he flat out told Jenny that there was a problem. And she basically kind of, there was some serious gaslighting. Like, you know, aren't you, it was almost like, aren't you man enough to do this kind of thing? It was gross. But it was, I think the only reason it happened was because them sleeping together, Tony was broken down emotionally. And I think he really was in love with Jean. But um, he didn't, and then Paula died. It was, it was Paula's death. I think he was just, he was ex probably exhausted from working two jobs. He lost Paula and, um, um, he's in love with his, his Mark, which is a terrible position to be in. And he knows better. Um, so he's got this, like nothing's going right in his life. He probably at that point was suspecting that this operation was bullshit, but he had no way out. I think he was just beat down. Um, by the time he kind of gave in and took comfort where he could, I'm not saying he should have done it. Obviously, he shouldn't have, but I, no, he had gross. he had been saying no um, all along up till that point, and he was obviously completely broken when he finally went to Jean um, in season four, late season four. So it was ugly. It was ugly all the way around. But um, anyway, so however, he refuses to do it. Jenny just demotes him to punish him and then she has to send him somewhere and uh, it could be part of her punishment as she's sent him to the cold case unit. She makes him Mike Wepler's SFA. Yeah. Because she has no reason to demote him below SFA. So, and Mike, maybe Mike had wanted had what Mike wanted him anyway. So Mike's like, okay, I'll take him. Sure. Dark says, I will never not be mad at NCIS for fridging Paula as a plot device to whore Tony. It was ugly on all levels. It was. It was It was hideous. And the better outcome for that whole scenario was for Tony to admit that he did love Jean and leave with her. And give her that. Or even if she said, fine, I love you too, but I don't want anything to do with you because you lied to me. At least give her that his emotions were real. Right, because him telling her that it was never real was disgusting. It was like it was like that was somebody's idea of that was the kind thing to do. And I was like, a man wrote this. Yeah, a man did write that. Because no. Um, AJ asked, I keep hearing about the mothership. It's Tony McGarrett. Yes, where did the name come from? We were talking one night about ships. Um, the size of ships or something. I remember talking about it. It's like, it's not a, it's not a big ship. It's not a, I don't remember exactly what we said, but also it's just like, it's the mothership. It's the ship. Yeah. I think that was kind of the progression. Like it's like it's the ship. It's like at the mothership, and that's when we started calling it the mothership. Sure, and then and then as a joke, we named the other ships as well. Like <laughs> Rampart is a marine ship, and um, Ian Edgerton is sniper ship, and um, 
but the one that we really stuck was, um, yeah, Tony Run was Knife Ship. Um, one that really stuck is is definitely Mothership. Because yeah. it is the Mothership. Yeah, it should be. And the thing is, is for me, it should be it should be the biggest ship in NCIS. It, it it just it's like you've got these two men in the same universe, and very few people write it. <laughs> As she sits here and writes a Spencer read. <laughs> I've written I've written Tony and yeah, you have. Times, you have. so you, have. you are not calling it a stash ship. <laughs> no. no. Well, that 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 can only that can only mean one thing. You know what that means? What judge ship? No. Click click on her name. Sharks? No. Eighties. Eds. Okay. Oh. Yep. She did it. Some people have a secret role. <laughs> Doesn't do anything for you. It's more like an early warning system. <laughs> for the rest of us. But um, <clears throat> I mean, there are a lot of places you can you can start to fix it in NCIS, and there's 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 so much room for improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the sooner <laughs> I get him out, the better, in my opinion. Get him out from under Gibbs, but I could have him in the cold case unit for a long damn time. He doesn't have to be. He could be happy there, but be happy, be, but be fine to move to. Um, it's new. Everybody got a clean slate. The only people who went in autumn, actually, three people went in automatically Lady Holder, Azure, and Margaret. <laughs> I mean, some people went into the Hall of Fame, just you know, it was, it was an instant thing. And some people earned it earlier in the week. One person, yes, one person did. Sinbin is the penalty box. You can see that Lady Holder's in it right now. But Sinbin Hall of Fame is just a little, little subtle role so that occasionally we can go and look and see who who the the real overachievers are. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret. Margaret. Are you being serious right now? We should put that person who's responsible for the turducken in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> we haven't seen her lately. We haven't seen Emmeline in a while. She shows up. She's going in there, though, because of the turducken. That, that will get you an instant <laughs> visit. Anyways, so curiously, if if Tony's really happy in his cold case unit. It creates an interesting dynamic because, I mean, the thing is, I do think he's going to see so much. Like, Spencer is so incredible. He's going to see, oh, my God, look what he can do. I think he's going to look to move closer to Spencer, not expect Spencer to move to Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Because um, the FBI scope is so much bigger. Yeah. So um, I think he's going to leave, even if it doesn't make Mike happy. Although, you know, I do love that cartoon, even if it's still, it doesn't make me huff. It does. It makes me, it makes me um, circus Afro huff. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. Like what would, what would he do? So they worked the case together. So that's, I would think that's the big it, it, it's an interesting dynamic to have them working the case together as soulmates and they're getting to know each other over this case, right? Because that's got to be, man, I have to really think about what's that like? You meet your soulmate and you're in the middle of an investigation. You can't just go off and get coffee and get to know one another. You're going to be getting on a plane somewhere to, oh, we're on our way to, you know, we're taking our private jet, you know, um, you've been seconded to our unit for this thing or whatever. So, um, 
what is that like? I, I'm really trying to figure that out in my head. What is that like? Because usually I think of when I envision the soulmate thing, it's like, oh, you meet your soulmate, you spend some time getting to know each other, you bond, and then you go out and deal with the world. What if you have to deal with the world the whole way? I think there does need to be a moment of acknowledgement for them both. That, hey, I see this and I see you. Um, I'm on board with exploring it, but we got this. And he's like, yeah, we got this. and It's fine. But otherwise, it creates this potential for this rippling of anxiety between them both. If one of them's ignoring it or if they're both ignoring it. Also, it, it doesn't speak to emotional maturity if they're both ignoring it. Yeah, I don't think they would ignore it. I think they would like, oh, hi. let's. We need to talk. And I think everybody would understand. It wouldn't matter how urgent the case, unless they're like expecting a victim to drop any minute. It wouldn't matter how urgent the case would be. Um, I think it'd be pretty obvious when you meet your soulmates. I think it'd be startling, especially because also when you first touch your soulmate, your mark's going to appear. So depending upon where that mark appears, it might be visible too. So th those are all details I have to work out, figure out what I want for the story. Um, but they have to work this case together. Um, they're going to be drawn together. I think it could be a really interesting dynamic to explore rather than just getting to stop and kind of, because it would be, it's almost like creepy dating. It's like they're actually getting the opportunity to get to know each other over the course of this case. But it's like, it's over the hunt for a serial killer. It's interesting to see how they bounce off each other. Yeah, that could be fun. They could bounce off each other really well. Yeah, Tim says it's interesting to see someone at work, see them competent, to see them tired, see who they really are. Whereas usually you have to date someone and meet them layer by layer. With that working relationship, you see them as a person first and then slowly learn their um, first um, date upper layers of personality which is that's very true you would get to know a little bit more of the meat of the person too are there official policies about working with soulmates this is federal work there's probably regulations about working with soulmates and what to do if you identify them on the job they're probably I, i'm sure there are um i'm trying to think of why it would be a problem to work with well I would think it well, it would be a problem probably in some lines of work to work with your soulmates, but in others, I don't know that it would be a big deal. I guess it depends on like um like what kind of situations um your soulmates are getting into, um, the kind of work that they do, um, but also what kind of synergy develops between soulmates. Like if there's like some kind of um boost that they might get as you know, from bonding. Was that your I idea? Have, yeah. Like, if they work better together than they do apart? So you could work it that you, you could do your world building that they, that once, that soulmates often work together. Um, and then it's kind of a function of being a soulmate is that you often are in compatible lines of work. I don't know. Um, that it's very rare for people's lives to be very incompatible. Because they're just drawn to the same kinds of things. I don't know. But it depends on how, what you want to do. Um, but it could be that sometimes soulmates... You could do do it that soulmates don't work together at all. That if the, if you want to go that way, that it it compromises like them in the field, and that it's not a good idea. Or you could do it kind of like that they're getting a boost of um, a skill boost or something, and that it helps to work with their soulmate. Or and you could also soulmate can be a more complex concept than just we have a soul bond because like I meant, you know, we mentioned the thing about you get a power boost or you become a little bit more talented. Um, you're a little, whatever you do, you do a little bit better if you're bonded. So there, you could do something like that. But what if, what if 
So if you use the idea, like if you kind of go with the idea of like soulmates are about like psionic energy or something like that, it's about connecting people with maybe similar psionic wavelength or something like that. What if there were like, you could like extend some of the sentinel guide tropes and kind of twist them for soulmate and be like, what if there are like sort of like touchstones, like psionic touch points on the temporal plane um, that are kind of like anchors for like the soulmate energies and stuff. Um, and like who those people are, what their function is in society and that kind of thing. And then you could have uh, one of those kinds of like a new, like, like you could have a, a situation where like one of these like psionic nexuses or something like that, or like maybe some soulmates when they meet become like a, a psionic node, their bond is like a, conductive for everybody else i don't know i'm not explaining what is in my head very well i have not been sleeping much so anyway um so you could do it like a one of these you know psionic node partnerships kind of dies and your stories about the the next node meeting they meet and they inherit this um sort of this sort of trust from the psionic plane and from society to kind of be part of the anchor system for soulmate magic as it were um that that sounds really cool actually so you don't have to just limit it to the soulmate part of it could be more complicated and could be part of the plot too because it doesn't have to be as simplistic as just we have a soul bond there's nothing wrong with just it's simplistic we have a soul bond but you could make the soul bond be something more you could do something to put world building around the soulmate stuff itself and if i did that i would probably have one half of the pairing be like the conduit and the other half be like their shield or their their buffer oh. in in canon Spencer starts to get headaches, and he thinks it's because maybe he's going to manifest schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. I remember if, that, yeah. What if the headaches, what if you kind of kind of merge that in and the headaches are about him being the conduit? That, that that's something that's coming to him. Because the psionic plane is kind of anticipating their meeting. I like that. And so Tony's his, like, shield or something like that. And I think that um, really fits Tony's personality, too. And maybe these people are in a very... Um, protected position legally because they're instrumental in, you know, the the flow of psionic energy on the temporal plane. So, um, you know, ooh, sorry, I didn't mean to whack my microphone like that. Um, the um, that could actually also eliminate any of the problems with Jenny Shepard. Like if she tries to keep hold of Tony to keep punishing him with cold cases, uh, you know, the government could be like. Well, he can actually work wherever he wants. Shut up. <laughs> but, you know, she couldn't actually keep him because, you know, he's he's not contracted. That's true. He's not. But she, the thing is, it could be one of the reasons why he hasn't left NCIS is because she's making it hard for him to do that. I mean, she demoted him. In 18 later, she demoted him. She could say that he's a discipline problem. Um, so she could have made been making life hard for him. And he just may, it actually may not be actually hard for him. He may just think it's hard for him. She could have told him, you're not going to be able to find a job anywhere if you leave. You know, it, you got black marks on your record. Um, and that, But the reality is, is that if he'd called Morrow, which let's say he didn't, he'd, let's say if he called Morrow, Morrow would have been like, no, I don't think so. There's no problem with you getting a job somewhere else. You can have a job over here tomorrow. Yeah. And what if time will you be here? If he's <laughs> if he's performing well, um, 
maybe nobody's going to care what Jenny Shepard says. So, and so by having that actually two different, um, if I make the serial killer bit actually the subplot and the, the node part, their relationship be the main plot, um, that actually allows me to kind of take some of the detail off the case so that I it's don't have to. It's adorable that you just turned the serial killer into a meat cute. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but by, by dropping it as a subplot, it also allows me to not have to get like so detailed about a serial killer. Right. I, I can. Right. Have some, I mean, I have to have some detail. It has to be, you know, but I'm not going to have to work through every step of the investigation because it's the subplot, not the main, main plot. Yeah, I don't think they even invite her to the to the poker, poker game. Poker game? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing about that kind of really, you know, tangent, but it kind of really annoyed me that they had the, the female director be just such a nightmare. Yeah. It's like, must you? It's like, must you? Must you? <laughs> the platonic sugar daddy poker game. <laughs> Tony's platonic sugar daddies are how he wound up the... Um, Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. Man, that is a <laughs> mouthful of a title. <laughs> I do like the idea of the conduit and the shield. It um it it, um, it allows you to explore a dynamic that you really enjoy. Um, but also it's like it's something different and new. Yeah, it it would be it would be interesting. If I just said USDI, people would think I was seeing saying USDA, and they would wonder what in the world I was talking about. Let's we'll call me under. Which I think is actually what they call them, which is a terrible, terrible short, short, short form title, the under. Um, so yeah, I like the, I like the idea of exploring a little bit different, exploring the world building be a little bit different, making the bond be a little bit different, um, and then you've got the case that's bringing them together, um, that's phasing Tony out of NCIS, um, bringing, and because Tony is the one who brought the case together, and he's clearly showing profiling acumen, it's not putting him at a professional disadvantage to move him into the BAU. Right. But also the show made it seem like it was incredibly easy to become a profiler. I mean, like, like JJ went away, had a couple classes, came back a profiler. It's like, okay, how many classes did she take? Two, three? How'd that go? I mean, really? Like she downloaded an app? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they kind of made it seem like, I think that she was, um, I think that it, that she had picked up a lot over her years of being their communications liaison. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's almost like they're saying she picked it up by osmosis. <laughs> Which is ridiculous also. But yeah, I mean, if you have Tony there for a couple of years, he could have picked up a degree. Yeah. Maybe the degree, it, in a way, could help lampshade him figuring out this, this psychology of this cold case. His The new education plus his intuitive um non-linear thinking situation came mm -hmm. together and allowed him to see this when nobody else was seeing it i like that and it also allows me if i wanted to i could push it out to later into season five i don't have to do it like you know i could i could find where in the nci i mean in the criminal minds timeline is suitable because tony's basically okay mm-hmm I mean, so you like you, I know, I don't know how you feel about it, but I know I hate it. Um, you could do a prologue with him refusing to do that case and her reassigning him to um, Mike Wepler's unit. And then him meeting Mike Wepler and being like, okay. And then do chapter one a couple of years later um, 
you can back reference anytime, you know, situations where, you know, that Gibbs wanted to move back and he said no, and you know, and just, you know, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it is a situation where a prologue kind of fits. If I, if I need, if there's something in there I need to show. Is a time um, skip? Setting up circumstances? Um, would the Hankel episode still happen for Reed? Yeah. I mean, yeah, probably based upon the timeline. I need to double check that, but, um, but the ramifications might be different. If he's already kind of being prepped by the psionic plane to be the conduit, he might come out of it better and not addicted. I mean... And it also could be that in the soulmate universe, Tobias Henkel might not even exist. True. Um, some of these people might not have ever been... Um, you sure Henkel is season three? No, you're right. That is the first episodes with... Emily, but I thought that was actually season two. Oh, oh, you're saying, okay, wait a minute. Well, you're, yeah, it would still have happened. Um, Gideon and Emily. Yeah, you're right. It, it is It is Gideon. Um, but yeah, it could be, like Kira said, that it, he just doesn't have the addiction problem because of, ow, because of the... Um, that maybe even the drugs didn't work at all. And he he's never had stuff like that before, so he doesn't have any framework for why the medication didn't really affect him in a psychoactive way. You can imagine that they'd be softer and gentler, but they could also, in situations in a world full of soulmates, it could be harder, meaner, especially if meeting your soulmate is a matter of chance. That has the potential to create a lot of bitter, resentful people. Yeah. Um, and if somebody, if a marriage is broken up because somebody finds their soulmate, some people, somebody might be really like our killer. Yeah. Or you meet your soulmate and your soulmate is married and prefers to stay with their spouse. They're they're already deeply in love and, and they don't care that you're their soulmate. And if you only get one and your soulmate prefers the person they're already married to and wants nothing to do with you, probably would insist on you not contacting them because they wouldn't want that temptation. Yeah. It could. It, it, there's there's definitely a lot of potential for ugliness. And it, a lot of it d- depends upon how you do your world building. Um, and honestly, if soulmates are a dime a dozen, if everybody's got one, a bunch of people are going to have assholes for soulmates. The other side of it is, like today, like today, if soulmate magic happened today, and some dude walked up and told me he was my soulmate, I would tell him to fuck off. Right. Because you you got you got a husband that you're perfectly happy with. Right, exactly. He's a good provider of the sea. <laughs> Certainly. Why? Why take a chance on that? Some stranger you don't know who says who who some weird ass magic is told is is saying that you're their soulmate. So what? Like you I'm already twenty happy years really? of marriage down the drain for that. It's no. like so. It's like, it's like, eh. But I mean, you don't know if with two people who who just met, they neither one of them are in a relationship. They're like, yeah, we'll give it a shot. Um. Well, actually, though, the thing is, the idea of somebody being bonded platonically, I wouldn't like that. If I was in a marriage with somebody, and they're mm-hmm. carrying a, bo- a platonic bond that is something that I can never have with them, I have to, I mm-hmm. wouldn't like it. No. Mm-mm. Like, you can you can join my Discord server. <laughs> I, I'm Go fi- back where you came from. <laughs> I'm fine with the idea of platonic soulmates. I don't have an issue with that. But, like, two, two people are married, and one of them has a platonic soulmate? I don't think so. No. It's just something... like some kind of mystical bond going on. That's like that. That's intrusive. It's intrusive on the marriage. I wouldn't want to do that. So now, if there's no bond, but then again, I don't know what 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 defines a soulmate. Then we have the same tattoo. Okay, 
That, we have the same it. so our, our mystical tattoo is the it was what defines our relationship that's not a lot to go on i think the bond is kind of intrinsic to the whole idea of the soulmate for me it is i mean I, you could people can do whatever they want but for me the, the bond is pretty pretty baked into the to the trope so i mean yeah you could do platonic but again i mean i just it's the idea the idea of my husband having a bond with another person even if it like they had some kind of mental or emotional or empathic bond, I would be y'all. No, no. I would be five foot four of rage. <laughs> I'd be a little rage ball. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't think so. <laughs> so I mean, so, but everybody has to. Everybody has their own tolerances <laughs> for those kinds of things. I just how how's what different. I, she's, she's I, I think she's implying that I'm always a little rage ball. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, there's levels. There's levels. Anyways. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, if you get me in a Walmart, <laughs> that would be a similar state. <laughs> get it. <laughs> but I, I do think the bond is kind of intrinsic to the trope for me as well. That's what That's what makes it attractive to me. Yeah. That's probably the same reason I find Sentinel and Guides attractive. The idea yeah. of bonding. So you can do a lot with soulmates. Um, and somebody mentioned something. I don't remember. I think maybe it was Tim mentioned something up above about you could do all kinds. Of, when I was talking about the things you could do, you could have um, some people can see bonds. You could have um, the seeing bonds is what kind of jumped out at me as interesting, interesting part of the concept. Um so you can kind of stretch what it means to be bonded or what it means to have soulmate magic or that um, you could see somebody's soul animal, which is a little bit of a demon thing, but actually you don't have to go full demon. That'd be one way to have soul animals and not go into having a full separate character is that you have um, some a, a character, you know, with bonded that can just see soul animals, see see the nature of other people's souls so that'd be a little bit like a shaman, uh, shamanic gift but that's cool you can do that i think i think the issue is not platonic soulmates the issue is the bond and i have a hard time having um platonic soulmates who bond is fine but when you have a married couple and one of them has a platonic soulmate and there's a bond it bothers me so i mean is it that's not that's not best friend vibes for me so um it also depends on what the bond is doing is like is it an empathic tether are they sharing my spouse's emotions are they sharing my spouse's memories are they sharing my spouse's sexual experiences it goes back to that whole sentinel and guide thing that we talked about long before it's like where's the line what's going on What's happening? But on the other side of it, we were talking one night about how if Sentinels and Guides, like one of the pairing was asexual, um, and the Sentinel and Guide had a sexual relationship outside of their pairing, obviously they would want to if their partner isn't interested in sex. It makes sense. Um, if and they are, uh, like what is that person who is asexual getting from their partner um, through the bond, and is that abusive? Yeah, because if you're feeling, if you're asexual and you don't want anything to do with sex, um, and you're getting somebody else's sexual feelings and desires through the bond, 
that becomes a persistently abusive situation. And I've seen it written where they do. They're, and it's like it's okay because they don't physically have sex. But I still find it kind of appalling. Uh, yeah. But and also invasive because as the as the person having the sex with the sentinel or the guide, I would not want the other half of that pairing in my sexual relationship. No. Because uh, no. <laughs> I mean sometimes sometimes I think people just haven't thought about the ripples and sometimes I think people haven't thought about human nature. So, you know, it's just a matter of you have to consider I mean, I shut the bedroom door in my own house and we live alone. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> well, I, you know, you hail because if in a soulmate world, it's especially thing is like if you're a soulmate and you're ace, odds are your soulmate's gonna be ace. It's not a very good soulmate system if you have a They're fundamental not. if you have a fundamental incompatibility like that. I mean, you could write it that way. You could feel like that. That's super realistic and good on you for going down the angsty path. But I, I wouldn't do it. Um, so those are all questions you have to answer for your world building and your story. Is what is your what are your soulmate mechanics? What does the bond look like? What does the bond do for you? Um, what does it feel like? Are do people bond platonically or not? I don't. Again, I, don't have, I, I assume. In any almost any soulmate world, there's probably platonic bonds. Um, you know, what is all how often, how frequent are soulmates? Are they rare? You know, it, it could be a whole it's a lot to think about all these different pieces. And you want your soulmate world building to serve your story, not make your story more complicated or harder than it needs to be, or to have so many ripples that you can't manage it. Like right. You don't want a deeply problematic element in your world building that you don't fully understand the ramifications of. Like that whole thing in ABO where submissives get touched on the necks or um, um, omegas get touched on the necks and they immediately fall into subspace. Come on. That kind of world building is really deeply problematic. Yeah. And right. I mean, there would be no submissives or omegas or whatever because they all would have put on giant metal collars and moved into a citadel and started shooting any doms that came near them. They'd been picking them off with rifles years before. And the thing is they couldn't even they couldn't even trust each other either. They keep those collars on because they wouldn't be able to trust each other not to it's like are you a nice person? I don't know you. Do I let you near my this button that I've got that's gonna make me instantly obedient and pliant? Because anybody could push the button. Anybody, yeah. I read I read several stories with this particular trope. Not read them, read them. I started them and go, oh, no, not this trope again. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, here we go, the next thing. Nope. In this he case, it was hard to push buttons. You're <laughs> right. We do push buttons. It, it's a problem. <laughs> this this actually, it, I've seen it in ABO, but it, this was actually in, a, in BDSM, a BDSM world. Like a BDSMAU was where I was actually trying to read the book. Oh, BDSMAU, let's see. Oh my God, what is this feature? I don't like it. Someone take <laughs> away the button. <laughs> Somebody has watched too many Staples commercials. We don't need this button. I mean, if you think about it, it's it's almost it's it's just it's just as bad if DOMs are running around putting submissives, putting them into subspace without their consent. I'm like reading this going, and they're they're making it out to be this really romantic thing, and I was like, oh. <gasps> Oh my God! What is this? 
removing somebody's consent is not and never will be romantic. I didn't break the first rule of BDSM. I, I didn't break the first rule of consent. Oh, no. She's saying you said it. You were saying that they did it. They just forgot oh. the quote. Oh, okay. Yes, it is the first rule. Consent, yes. And not just consent, continuous consent. <sighs> it is the same thing as a lover, a lust, lust, lust potion. Um, it, it, it's rapey. So anyway, I noped out. And then I saw it again. It's like, oh, I, I'm using this concept that was come up with so-and-so. I was like, oh, no, tell me you didn't. <laughs> so... Yeah, over and over, it, there it was. I was like, oh, why is this a thing? Why do people think this is a good idea? I mean, I, I'm not a submissive, and I want to put a collar on. It's just like, this is making me so uncomfortable. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just misread it. I just misread the, the comment. I was like, I never broke that rule. I would never. <laughs> you better share those brownies with me, Tim. <laughs> um, That's the first rule of brownies. Did you make enough to share? That's right. So I would, I would, yeah, I still, I'd have to work, still have to work out which world building I want to work with, but um, it would be, I, I would not give, put myself in a position of having angst built into the soulmate stuff itself. Like I wouldn't want, um, what's some of the stuff we were talking about earlier that, oh, I wouldn't want like the platonic bonds to be, to be common with, with a married couple, with a married couple that, that would be okay. I wouldn't do that. Um, I mean, if somebody meets their soulmate, there probably is a process. Like if you are already married and one of you meets your soulmate, there probably is like a customary legal process I would imagine that has evolved. People go through yeah. um, not in terms of like get divorced, but like, like carefully structured meetings with a therapist and the potential soulmate to make sure that you're not making a critical mistake to pursue your soulmate instead of stay with your spouse, you know? So uh, yeah, I do agree that a no-problem divorce would have become commonplace. Probably within a hundred years of there actually being a marriage. <laughs> yeah. Marriage law. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no-fault divorce would definitely be. they just go their separate ways. So, um, if that's what they want to do. And the thing is, I think it wouldn't even be for, for most reasonable people. If your spouse comes home and goes, oh my god, I met my soulmate today. It could then become a stumbling block for both of them. It's not just a stumbling block for one. The person who didn't meet their soulmate is like, do I want my spouse who's met their soulmate still choosing to stay with me? Am I always going to be feeling neurotic about that? So it be, it becomes, you know, so there'd be ways of handling these kinds of things legally. Um, there'd be processes to go through if a soulmate were to come you know, into the picture after a couple had already married or had kids or whatever. So, um, I'm sure there would be lots of processes and it probably wouldn't be as ugly um, in modern society as it might've been in the past. Just something that's been worked out. Yeah. So, and to some, and to some stuff, I mean, people might who really think through the ripples historically might have a little bit of suspension, disbelief issue. But if you try it as we've, as we've demonstrated ably in the past, when you try to deal with all the historical ripples, you basically just, you just, it's like it's like taking the 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 thread that the main thread of the entire fabric of the universe and just yanking it willy nilly and you got nothing left. It's awful. We've been down that road. It was awful. We have a whole podcast on it. It was. It was not good. You can't. You just. You don't want to try to reconstruct history. So, to a point, you want to make it. You want to make it so they can suspend their disbelief that it's not totally. Um. <laughs> 
Mary Jane says, you want my wife? You owe me seven cows and a goat. <laughs> and I, a goat. I can tell you are no longer out of Mary Jane. <laughs> so you you do have to, you have to get you have to get to the point with your world building enough that the audience can suspend their disbelief, but you don't have to go to the point that it's completely believable. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what suspension of disbelief is about. Suspension of disbelief does not mean that it is strictly believable. That's what the news is for. Well, maybe. <laughs> Your reader wants to believe you. Your job is to give them, to not give them a reason to not believe you. Right. So as long as you, it doesn't make them go, but wait a minute, wouldn't that have like, un, you know, un, you know, unspooled the fabric of history? As long as they're not asking themselves that question, you could probably hand wave away all that that history basically took place in approximately the same way. Um, but other than that, uh, but you have to then figure out what this looks like for, for modern society. Um, now it gives us an interesting wrinkle. If Shannon was his soulmate, it explains the three wives um, that he, maybe they all found their soulmate after marrying him. Maybe that's why he got divorced so much is he'd already had his soulmate. So they find their soulmate. And they're like later Gibbs. And he's like, bye. That's so sad. He <laughs> put that man in a support group. He keeps no trying wonder to get he's such a bitter asshole. He keeps trying to get married because he's, you know, lonely. And um, all that does not explain why Diane left Fornell. Because I wouldn't imagine. Well, Di Diane and Fornell would have to be soulmates if that under that theory. But they got back together, too. I mean, you know, the thing about soulmates is, is they probably could actually theoretically get married, get divorced, get married, get divorced. <laughs> Because it's like they're soulmates, so they're drawn together, but they hate each other, but they love each other. Because it's a thin line, y'all. It's a really thin line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would actually be funny if all of his ex-wives met their soulmates through Gibbs. Like, he introduced them. Yeah. Like, they he goes to some event, and he says, this is my wife. And they're like, oh, hi. And he's like, not again. <laughs> I can't take my wives anywhere. Okay, for now, you can have her. <laughs> you can come pick up her stuff tomorrow. Because <laughs> she was the worst of them, I think. Or no, she wasn't the one with the golf club, right? I don't think Diane was the one with the golf clubs. I think the one with the golf club was the worst. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why she hit him, though. Well. I mean, what was that about? I mean, did they ever reveal in canon why she, why she hated his head? Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> I think they just took it on faith that the audience was like, "Yeah, fair." <laughs> yeah, it's Gibbs. He probably got he got probably got clocked in the head. He, he probably had that shit coming. He probably did. So, um, I've got I think I've got I've got a lot of decisions to make um, because in this case, I think what I would do since I have a basic idea of kind of how, what kind of soulmate bond I want to use. I think what I would probably do is plot first and then work out the soulmate details to make sure I didn't create soulmate world building that was going to make um, be problematic for my world. It can be a little bit like, is it is that the car before the horse kind of thing? Because normally I do my world building first. Um, I don't know. It's a little bit of a toss up as to which would be more effective in this situation. This is a little bit of do some world building, then plot, and then fill in the details of the world building with what doesn't contradict the plot. That feels like it would work well in this situation, but I don't know. Maybe you might do it that way and then go back through it. Yeah. When, like you, when, you, do that, would. when you do that, you have to kind of like cross check it. 
that sounds like a weird term, but you know, you gotta you gotta check your work. You gotta go through it the way you normally would, just to see if it's gonna flow right yeah. and keep the right pace. Mm, sorry. And then I have a lot to think about when it comes to Spencer and um, and Tony. I I don't have a pro I don't actually have a problem envisioning their dynamic, but I just got to figure out how they how long it takes to get them together and um. And also, what the soulmate mechanic is going to do to them? Is it going to draw them together, um, make them want to sit close to each other, whether they realize it or not? Increase touching. I would, you know, the thing is, I would imagine it's so. I would, I would think, especially if you're not bonded, that the the soulmate is going to be like an a, a it'd be alluring. Um, you know, there's there's this energy that feels really good, and I want to be close to it. So, and in the case of like creating like a psionic conduit kind of thing, it could actually be really important that they not wait too long to bond. Um, I wouldn't want to put them in a position where they have to bond. I, I would never do that, but. Um, more of a case of like um, it's in their best interest to to finish to complete the connection because maybe him meeting Tony kind of opened him up a little bit more to the psionic energies and he needs the the buffer that Tony provides uh, mm -hmm. or no that kind of puts me in a sort of you must bond kind of situation like so. a fuck or die situation yeah which I wouldn't want to do in in this kind of context so. Um, I I could come up with a reason why it would be put, putting them in a more vulnerable position without it being like they have to. So that's important to me to not make it seem like that, you know, that he has no choice because he's a conduit that he has to he has to have a bond. Or he or maybe it or not. he could just really want it. Maybe he just takes one look at Tony and says, yes, I want that. I want all of that. I'm going to have that. I'm going to get that. That's mine. He could be, well, yeah, he could be. He could be like, this is something that's for me. I've never had that before. I, wow. It's like the universe mm. has provided me something. Um, give over. Yeah, I deserve that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, because, uh, you know, I really enjoy like watching people come together reluctantly and like figuring things out. But also sometimes it's just really awesome just to like see a couple go, yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I mean, Tony could be trying to be respectful and keep his distance, and Reed comes knocking on his door and going, Hi, I'd like to climb you right now. And Tony's like, Um, <laughs> really? Reed's like, Hell yeah, have you looked at you? <laughs> have you looked at you? <laughs> you have to use that line, write it down. I mean, yeah, it would just, it would be, you know, um, to see Spencer in that situation where he's just like, he's seen something that he really, really wants, you know, and he's like, I'm going to have that. Tony's trying to be a gentleman and, and Reed's trying to get laid, <laughs> which would be the exact opposite of the way it normally is. It would be great. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Tony's like, huh, um, I thought I'd give you some space. And Reed's like, why? <laughs> We're going to be together for the rest of our lives, aren't we? Unless you're saying you're not into this. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying you're not into this? I was like, no, no, I'm into it. He's like, then why do you think I need space? Why are your pants still on? <laughs> Soulmate bonds are anti-space. So would you just get over here? <laughs> it's like contrary. I think it'd be, it'd be fun. It's like contrary to the whole idea. The whole, it's contrary to the whole concept. So just get undressed. <laughs>
Take off not, your pants. Brady would be like, we don't have to bond now, but can we just have sex? That'd be great. Actually, that'd be awesome. He says, I don't mind if we hold off on bonding, but can we go ahead and start having sex because I've been kind of horny for like a year. <laughs> Tony's like, okay. You, you haven't got light in a year? Yeah, but yeah, we can, we can, we can we handle can, that. We can fix that. And Reed's like, do you see what, the, well, you, you see what kind of lunatics I work with? They're all super overprotective and think that they need to screen my dates. <laughs> Try it before you buy it. <laughs> Actually, he could say that he could be something not quite try it before you buy it. But people like, well, YouTube went right to and like, oh, we didn't bond yet. That was just that was just <laughs> our taste test. I can just picture Aaron Hotcher's face when that comes out of his mouth. It's like, <laughs> like, oh my god. And the thing is, then I have to. The, here's, the, here's the other thing that comes up that when you mentioned Hotchner, that you have to then make a decision is of every couple that's been that is together in canon or was together in canon, were they soulmates? If they aren't, why did they get together? Um, if they are, why did they get divorced if they're divorced? So, like, if I say Haley is Hotch's soulmate, well, why did they split up? I mean, maybe well, they didn't. I know that she's they didn't. I know they slept in canon because she couldn't deal with the realities of his job. I think she cheated personally, but um she, Oh, she did cheat. She did cheat on him, but she was mad at him about his job. And he knew she cheated because her her lover was calling the house. He knew. He never confronted her about it, but he knew about it. At least I don't think so, he confronted her. I mean, if you just want to avoid the whole thing, she just it she never left, she never cheated, and she's not dead. Yeah. Well, that is one of my original concepts, um, Susan, was that um, is that anybody could have a soulmate, but it's pretty uncommon to actually find them. But that doesn't work super well with the whole node thing, the whole conduit. Um, so I got to, I'd, I'd have to be a little bit more common if I were to go with the, because it, you would, society wouldn't care about having soulmate conduits if conduits are psionic energy, if soulmates were stupidly rare. And in a world where soulmates exist and soulmates can be potentially very important, I don't think people would be pressured to get married for a pregnancy. I don't think you'd be required to legally bind yourself to somebody because somebody got pregnant um, for both sides of the issue. Because what if you got What if you found your soulmate? You're not soulmate. And that could actually could be the question that people wanted to get married for reasons like that could be like they could have domestic partnerships or something like you know, well, you're raising a child together and that's fine. But the question from the court might be, well, what if you found your soulmate? I don't care about soulmates. It's sort of like, you know, when you want to get your tubes tied, like, what if you want to have a baby? And you have to convince I them. I don't you, care about that. You have to convince them you don't want a baby. I mean, if soulmates have pretty much always existed, that maybe domestic partnerships is what it is. And marriage isn't a thing. Yeah, there is no marriage. Yeah, it could just be domestic partnership. And there wouldn't be any kind of common law thing because you wouldn't be an assumption of... An assumption of marriage. But also, you would probably think that sex would be a little bit more indiscriminate. Because if you don't, like, if you don't want to get involved in a relationship, you don't want to dig deep into a relationship because you might meet your soulmate, or you will eventually meet your soulmate, then I would think casual sex would be a big part of the world. Yeah. Or people could be like people who liked having relationships. It could be people could be a little bit more emotionally detached from sex than they are. It, it's, a, it's a subtle shift. A little bit of, you know, quote unquote, quote, serial, you know, months or a year, and then you break up. That might be really common. You find a compatible sexual move 
Well, I wouldn't do if if common are the whole duty that soulmates bond and marry. So it wouldn't be a case of you know, um, in the event that people want to have a long term marriage or contract marriage or whatever, um, if that's the norm. Well, the thing is, is that legal marriage today really is just a contract. It is basically a domestic partnership. You are agreeing to be legally bound to one another. Marriage is a religious concept. It is a religious concept. Um, but the, it, it, matter, it matters. It also has legal ramifications because like domestic partnerships aren't necessarily, there's not necessarily reciprocity about domestic partnerships. Right. As far as like insurance. Right. So taxes and but in this world there could be right there could be and so you you change that kind of thing so when it comes to um marry marrying could be what bonding is called you could do that but it's redundant to have two separate things that only soulmates do so if soulmates get together and bond and that's the difference between what soulmates do you wouldn't also then have them also get together and marry and that's also something only soulmates do but you could so, like if they bond and then they could have a domestic partnership for legal issues. Right. Or it could be that it's like it's like when you have a soulmate bond that your domestic partnership is automatic, which is basically what happens with marriage. When you get married, your domestic partnership is effectively unless you signed a prenup, it's sort of a de facto kind of situation. Um Yes, but I don't want to I don't want to tear the fabric of reality, the fabric of history apart to try to figure out, you know, how how the the West would have been settled with this kind of model because it's it's a rat hole that lasts hours and ultimately nets you nothing because you implode the universe. <laughs> We've been there. That's why that's why you have to lampshade it enough that it's believable and then hand wave the rest. Otherwise, you just wind up with a completely different world, and and then you've got to spend fifty thousand words words explaining your world. Um. And a lot of times, this is things that you know that never end up in the narrative. There's, there's a lot, a lot of times there'll, there'll be little things that you know about your world building, that you know about your world and the way it functions, that never actually ends up in your narrative. Because it's important for you to visualize, but not necessarily a detail that your reader needs. Yeah. So you have to be careful about how much you convey to the reader and when you convey it. Because doing a big data, big dump above, of info and info dump at the beginning of your story about how your world works, no. Tedious, tedious, tedious. And also your reader is going to skip it. And you won't even they won't even know what you've told them. And so if you um, try to use it later without fully explaining it, they're going to be confused because they skipped the whole info dump at the front of your story. No, it, the, the society wouldn't be matriarchal because the thing is, if you change society to be matriarchal, then you've, that's one of those things that change. That's my point is you, you've unthreaded the fabric of reality. You've pulled it apart. So if you want the world to look approximately like the world you've already got, you can't go in and start making changes in the past that ripple that intensely into the future. It would be huge. It's, it's huge. So making, making, the U.S. A, a matriarchal society. Um, this is you wouldn't have Spencer Reed at the BAU. That becomes that becomes a, an absurd contrivance. Um, so you gotta, and we have an object lesson about why you don't do this. Why you don't try to reweave the tapestry that is society, that is world history. Because um, we tried it one night. It was a mess. 
It was a mess. It was and, a ulti- and ultimately, we wound up with nothing. We posted it anyway. It's up there. It's the um, the it's the little black dress concept for what was it? The psionic Rift. It was called the Psionic yeah. Rift. The Psionic Rift. I mean, there were some interesting concepts that came out of that about the Psionic Rift, but as as a a drift, it was it went nowhere. But I I don't. But I'm not going to get into the custody stuff. Is kind of irrelevant. I mean, I could pick apart the legal system, but it becomes one of those things that I know. But it. But see, in this world, Haley and Hotchner never split. They never got a divorce. She's not dead. Custody of Jack wouldn't be an issue. But also, I think when you have a soulmate, that you wouldn't want to make your soulmate miserable. So you would be inclined, even if you could not share the same house, you'd be inclined to be kind to your own soulmate. Yeah. Because it isn't like this is just some jackass you married. (laughs) Unless he's a jackass. (laughs) But, you know, and then in that case, you're a jackass, too, because you're soulmates. That's the point. But even if I split Haley and Jack, I mean, Haley and Hotch, um, who has custody of Jack is sort of a knit because, well, because realistically speaking with Hotchner's job, Haley has custody of Jack because how is he taking care of Jack? But my point is, it's still a knit in the terms of the decision making because Hotch is not the main character, right? It doesn't really matter to Tony and Reed. Hotch's custody situation, but I don't think it would be much different, you know, than way, way it was in canon if they were divorced because Hotchner's out of town so much and works a lot. Um, I mean, even if even if you wanted to go down, so let's let's go down the the, the thought pattern, okay? Even if even if you have this idea that historically, um, it's like a couple split who have children. It's a no fault split. Um, the question that came up was what happened in the past where courts favored the fathers in the past um, would, would the mothers get the kids Would the fathers always get the kids? How would that work in the case? I think it would probably be very situationally dependent. I don't think a lot of men who are um, getting, who are splitting from their spouse, if they've got children are going to necessarily want to sign up to take all their kids with them to their new marriage. But some of them might, I mean, it's. I think. I think every situation it would be different, and the laws in each area would probably sometimes. Well, let's be... say that there's a couple that are married and they have a couple of kids, and one of them meets their soulmate. If I'm that soulmate and I'm watching the this this family being taken apart because I've met my soulmate and he he or she wants to be with me, okay. Um, but I don't want her kids. They could come visit. They can have a room, but I don't want her kids. And that's just me. And that is a valid circumstance. <laughs> what if you have some titles to your name and you have kids, but find your soulmate for argument's sake? And I think, well, the thing about like a for argument's sake kind of argument that is not even remotely relevant to your world or the plot you're building is that um, it can become a, a tangent in your development of your world building that, that derails you. But, um, and also this would be, in my world only, the answer I would give to this would be only in the world I would be developing. Somebody else would have a different answer. So, but um, I, I think it. I think it would. I think in the case of somebody who's got power versus somebody who doesn't have power, like somebody who's got titles in this particular example, they're probably going to get their way. 
just like it happens now, they're going to get their way. If they want the kids, they're probably going to have the kids. And if they don't want the kids, they're probably not going to have them. Whether they have a whole bunch of money or whether they have a whole bunch of titles or whether he works a job and she's never worked a day in her life or the exact opposite. She's the breadwinner. I mean, the unfortunate thing is the person in, in a case of where what's described here is a power imbalance. And in the case of a power imbalance, the more powerful person is probably going to get their way. Whatever that way may be. Whatever that's that the way may the, be. That's the way the world works. It's not fair. I don't think there would be a strict formula. The kids go with the mom. The kids go with the dad because. More and more that isn't even the case today. Yeah. They go with the parent who can provide the most stability. I know there have been times when one one type you know one one biological sex was favored over the other at different points in history, but those things ebb and flow. So you could try to put some motivation behind why men were favored at one point or women were favored at another point. Um, but again, I think I think it's always going to come down to a power thing. Wh which side has more power and what outcome did they want? Who has the better lawyer? Yeah. Now, it also depends upon what safety provisions you have in, you could also write, there's a lot of safety provisions in a no-fault divorce because of a soulmate situation that if the couple mutually agrees that one party is going to be have primary custody of the children, that the other party has to provide child support. There could be much more strict laws that prevent somebody from just abandoning their children because they found their soulmate. Um yeah, the thing is, you've, if you get too focused on the change in the system to support the soulmates, um, you start then getting into, I mean, it's good, it's good to know some of the stuff to a degree, but getting, if you're, if, so I'm focused on a story about two federal agents meeting over a serial killer. And if I spend a lot of time focused on child and protective services or um, the legal system for how divorces are handled or child custody, that is a tangent that is would be very time-consuming on the world-building front that serves my story not at all. The only reason that that would actually be relevant in her story is if her pairing was with Hotchner. Because otherwise, it isn't even relevant. She's never going to be in Hotchner's POV. No. I would I would imagine that she'll probably stick to two POVs, Spencer and Tony. Yeah. I In, in this kind of story, I don't have a reason for a third POV. So... She's not going to be in Hotshot's POV. I don't imagine Jack appearing on screen at all unless there's a backyard barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> and that would actually be a good way to highlight that Haley is alive and they're not divorced. In back, you know, like in passing. And also to introduce Will, if, if Will's there and their kid, you know, without having to actually tell your reader that this is happening. You know, they just end up at a barbecue at david rossi's house and there are all these kids here uh, uh, this is Haley. this is hotchner's wife this is will jj's husband you know and then it doesn't have to be actually discussed or put into the narrative in a way that looks false or weird it just it shows up and the reader acknowledges it and moves on or it doesn't happen at all and it doesn't matter so there are ways to give your reader information without hitting them over the head with it yeah. And I agree, Ellie, that, that sometimes you do work in, in a case of like a Spencer Reed, where he's going to be rattling off details. Um, if you need him to rattle that off as a statistic or a fact, then you might put some thought into that kind of thing. Um, but I typically don't spend a ton of time on world building elements that have th that aren't going to touch my story at all. Um, 
or that I could, you know, because some, some things I kind of have a sense I could figure that out really quickly or it's obvious to me what the ripples are from the world of developed, what the answer to that would be. But I also know from the Psionic Rift podcast what happens when you delve too deep into trying to figure out the ripples on the world stuff. And that is that you have no world left when you're done. No world. It's very tragic. It's very sad. So I have new things to think about. And actually, the thing is, I've got this new kind of world building idea that kind of is kind of also opening up other pairings for me. Um, my brain is kind of ticking on that um, as I'm sitting here. Um, could be tangential to Tony or, Tony or Spencer's history since they're both from divorced families. Tony's not from a divorced family. His mother died. Um, and Spencer's history, it, I think it is, I agree, it's somewhat relevant because, but his mother was institutionalized with a mental health issue. It could be that the, that situation might not be any different than any other kind of dissolution of the The father bailed when Spencer was a kid and Spencer had his mother committed when he was 18. Oh, that's right. So, wasn't he younger than that? Oh, maybe he was 18. I think he was just legally old enough to do it. I forgot that the father bailed before, and that Spencer's the one ha who had to put, have her committed. But in the flashbacks, you you get the feeling that his father didn't like him either. I didn't. Well, it, I think that was Spencer's viewpoint because we right. kind of learn we kind of learn all about all of that when Spencer thinks his father is a serial a killer when he thinks his father killed somebody, and then you find out that his father and his mother were trying to protect Spencer from a killer and not that they killed somebody. Um, but Spence, Spencer's dad was actually really proud of him. He kept all these articles about Spencer. He had a, like this whole um, scrapbook of okay, Spencer's yeah, I remember cases. That. I remember that kind of now. Um, so it kind of was a little bit, I don't remember exactly why he left Spencer's mom. Um, Probably because of her schizophrenia, which actually makes yeah. him a shitty dad because he left the kid behind. It does make him a really shitty father. He left because of the murder, Ellie? Because I mean, he, he and he and... Um, what's her face were together when the murder happened. I just don't remember that episode very well. I found it uncomfortable to watch for obvious reasons. Um, he couldn't deal with the guilt, the secrecy of of the yeah, and honestly, the stress could the stress of that murder and her keeping that secrecy and stuff have contributed to the acceleration of her schizophrenia? Maybe. So, I mean. That was a kind of a catalyst event for the de for the death, you know, the the end of their marriage. But they also don't really get too into exactly what happened with the end of the marriage that I recall, anyway. Um, so, but it did it did. I'm sure that that whole situation put her under a tremendous amount of stress. Um, and then I I, I can't imagine that had a good effect on her schizophrenia. And then Spencer had to have her committed when he was 18. So, um. Now, in this world, um, he could the father the father's impetus for leaving could have been that he met a soulmate. Ultimately, that could have been like it could have been like all that stuff with the murder and um, the mental health problems accelerating. That could have just been like icing on the cake, and then he meets his soulmate, and he's like, "I I'm out of here." It still makes him a shitty father for leaving his son in those circumstances, though. Yeah, there's nothing that doesn't make him a shitty father for that because he should have taken Spencer with him. Because Spencer was little when this happened. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, keep your scrapbook, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. My mother just sent this to me. I'll put this in uh, in the right channel in a minute, but share it with you guys. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think my mom, she's sending me memes in the middle of a podcast. It says, the fact that Dr. Strange defeated a villain by annoying him to surrender speaks to me on a spiritual level. <laughs> we all aspire to such. I think you've got some interesting um, things to play with. Yeah, I've got some I got some interesting ideas um, rattling around in my brain now. I think I'm going to really have to sit down and work on this idea of the, the conduit thing, because I'm finding that really intriguing, this idea that um, that for soulmates to kind of work, that there's kind of like an anchor network that allows the, you know, people that the, that the psionic energy flows through them, basically. So I gotta, I gotta, gotta work on that and figure out how, how it would work with the various soulmate concepts out there and which one is the most compatible with that. And um, yeah, back to the world building drawing board. And then, uh, and then I can figure out the plot. What was it? Spencer said, Oh, that he could go. <laughs> Congratulations. You learned how to Google. Too bad you didn't learn how to father. Yeah. Spencer's dad could Google him. That's so nice. Thanks, Pops. That's great. Now, I will say the soulmate concept is a little bit more straightforward and like a Harry Potter kind of thing. Like, um, because, you know, you just, I, I like the idea of a magical artifact. That is really, um, are you, do you have a magical artifact or do they just, is it, do they find out through the Book of Souls or something? Yeah, that is a because you can you can do all kinds of things with that. You know, there can be a reason why the book isn't accessible if you want to kind of have soulmates having a hard time or you can make it that everybody goes and visits the book on their 11th birthday. I mean, you can you can you can swing um, an artifact in a lot of different directions to fit the needs of your plot. But a magical artifact is to me, it's a little bit of a an odd fit into a contemporary crime drama or, or any kind of procedural. It's like. Where did this magical artifact come from exactly? <laughs> that's where I, that's where my suspension of disbelief gets challenged. Well, like, that would be, it's like, where did it come from and why is it the only piece of magic in the whole world? Right. Uh, explain, please. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but. So I'm good. I, I like. Just make I it like, work for me. I want to believe. Make it work for me. <laughs> yeah. And the, the people who, the people who are picking your story apart, every little element from the beginning, they, they're not, they don't want to believe. They are coming to your story with no suspension of disbelief. So you're never going to make them happy no matter what you do. So just delete their comments and move on. They were never going to like your soulmate concept. And that's just the way that goes. You say bye. Bye, Felina. You can Felicia. go now. No, I think of Felina Hopkins. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I I did a mental substitution for, <laughs> for, for Miss Cocky. I do want to believe. So just allow me to keep my suspension of disbelief and we'll be fine. And don't put a bunch of crap in parentheses. Because <laughs> it's not too much to ask of anybody. <laughs> if somebody is using parentheses actually to put around their parenthetical phrases, I can kind of deal with that. It's wrong. It's way wrong. But it's like, I get it. They're actually, instead of using commas or M dashes, they're using parentheses. It's not great but i can deal but it's when it's those parentheses are a big old fourth wall break that i'm like stop it <laughs> stop talking to me what is wrong with you i don't want to have a conversation i just wanted to read your story your character needs to quit talking to me at the end of the paragraph it's driving me bonkers so i was reading something a couple days ago that's that they were using the parentheses around around parenthetical phrases and i was like that's not what that means but okay <laughs>
<laughs> oh, oh, if, if that happens, I would close it so fast. I would <sighs> and write him an email. No, I was not excited, and how dare you talk to me that way. <laughs> I don't even know you. Don't talk to me. You are lucky that I have a policy <laughs> against these kinds of comments. <laughs> but I'm making them all in my head. Alt me is much less nice, and she says all the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Alt me's drunk a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I'm good. Thank you for helping me kind of work through that. I still I need to come up with a with a Tony and Chris bang each other, but I just think it's gonna be a soulmate thing. Um, some concepts just for me don't work well with some pairings. You know, it's like just make it more straightforward and let him bang. Tony and Chris could meet at a law enforcement <laughs> conference. Yeah, but I would do that in like 10K. It, it's, yeah, I know. Sometimes That's it's, what like, I'm saying. It, it's great. Um, it's, but sometimes it also then becomes a matter of the the length of the challenge. Because 30K is a lot for Chris Larrabee. Chris Larrabee. Well, like, what if they meet, like, at the same conference every year to bang, right? Um, and then they end up meeting on the job. <laughs> they had this case right and they're like like oh hi chris he's like hey tony how you doing everybody's like oh you know this guy I'm like a little bit yeah yeah a little bit <laughs> hot minute Tony's like when he gets him alone he's like so are we gonna just and chris like pretend that we don't know each other and he's like no no are we gonna not fuck during this case i just want to I, I want expectations set <laughs> when am I getting late again? <laughs> Takes off the belt. <laughs> I think he's a solid type. He'd be like, okay. I love that conference husbands. <laughs> a series there oh, there is a series of stories called there's a series of stories called Conference Wives where Charlie Epps and Ian Edgerton keep meeting. Is it like a work wife? Because that because that's hilarious. Huh. I've never seen this series. It are they meeting to bang? Because if they're meeting to bang, I would like a link. If they're not meeting to bang, I, I'm disappointed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I am. I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> the world has been very sexless lately, so we just don't need any more of that negativity. Except for that weird story that was like 90% sex. I, I can deal with 90% sex in 5K. I, a 90% sex in a story that's like 150K, that's rough. That is a rough read. It's like... It's a lot of dick. Aren't you guys chafed yet? I'm chafed just reading it. Charlie has two conference wives. He He's their beard and sperm donor. They keep creeps off him at conferences. Well, conference husbands is funnier. I will say that. That... They meet up, they bang at conferences. They both sign up for as many law enforcement conferences as they, can. <laughs> they possibly can. Like, hey, I'm going to this one, this one, and this one. Great, so am I. These are the All ones the time that, they're denying they have a relationship. Right. These are the ones that are on my potential list this year. I can go to one, two, you know, three, six, and fifteen. He's like, Yes, okay, I see it. See you then. <laughs> this is not a serious relationship. I know. We're just banging. And then their friends, and when the friends find out, they're like, "You've been having sex, getting together, to have sex, how, for like eight or nine times a year, for six years now." That sounds like a relationship to me. It's I'm there's an sure. awkward moment where they're asking, "So, are you dating anybody? When's the last time you dated somebody?" 
Or they're like, you haven't, you're, or actually they both be like, you're not dating anybody, are you? No, no, you? Good. Okay, good, we can have sex. Because <laughs> fidelity is important. Any character I write, fidelity is going to be important. I'm not banging you if you're having sex with somebody. If you're in a relationship. And that'd be terrible. They meet up for their conference. I'm seeing somebody. Oh, really? I don't think then I like that. you come? I don't think I like that. <laughs> well, dump them before July. <laughs> That's our favorite conference. It's in Hawaii. Chris starts using Ezra as a go. Anyways, I think that we've uh, covered this topic and um, we can end the podcast here. I need tea. Okay. I need tea. I need um, I hope this was entertaining and valuable and we probably will not post this until after April. Um, just because this is something that Julie's exploring for the challenge and I wouldn't want it to be um, available to the greater public. Um, before she gets the chance to write it, because I wouldn't want some asshole to come along and write it before she does. That would suck. To be frank. Um, anyways, I hope that you guys enjoyed it and um, that you um, got inspired to do your own thing and um, that you're looking forward to doing the April challenge with us. I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. It will be really interesting. It's going to be soulmates. And sign-, sign up start on soon. Oh, shit. <laughs> Monday Soon, on March first. I think that's March Monday, 1st, right? Yeah. Unless, yeah. Wow, yeah, Monday. Wow. That is crazy. We're here. We're we're wow. we're okay. Here at March first. Anyways, you guys have um, a great evening, and we shall catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.